This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Mary Cooter House. Steeped in history and the home of hospitality in the northeast since 1225, Mary Cooter House is an ideal base for anyone exploring the area, taking part in the Northeast 250, or looking to visit the plentiful distilleries, castles and landmarks of Aberdeen and the Shire, many of which are located a short drive from site. For anyone looking to escape the humdrum of everyday life, Mary Cooter House offers a wide variety of quality, seasonal, local cuisine, an array of Scottish tipples and of course, a warm Aberdonian welcome. All Aberdeen Football Club season ticket holders can benefit from a 10% discount on all overnight stays. Simply use the promo code AFC when making your booking. To find out more or make your booking, please visit marycooterhouse.com. It's Wednesday, or maybe Thursday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 27 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me, as always, it's Gavin Baxter and Graeme Steele. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. I am good, thank you, but whether it's Wednesday, whether it's Thursday, whether it's any day this month, Lee Griffiths, I'm just going to say it now, no thank you. (laughs) In a week that saw Ash Taylor reunited with Derek McInnes at Kilmarnock and Greg Wilde, add another notch to his career bedpost with a move to The Rock. It's another busy episode here. In the first half, we'll review Tuesday's return to action against Sevco 5088. We review the women's side's return to SWPL1 action with their defeat against Spartans. We'll take a look at the young team and our low knees before rounding off the half with our previews of Saturday's Scottish Cup tie with Edinburgh City and our second trip to Paisley next Tuesday evening in the company of Buddies fan, Kenny Leckie. And after the break, in light of the news coming from Atlanta that Ronald Hernandez will be making his move stateside a permanent one, we sat down with Joe Patrick, the managing editor of DirtySouthSoccer.com and co-host of the Five Stripe Final Podcast, to talk about the move and whether our suspicions on this move are correct. And we reflect on the links between the clubs in a little bit more detail. But first... Aberdeen won, Rangers won, the 18th of January 2022. Pataudry Stadium, the SPFL Premiership, and the Premiership returned after its accelerated winter break. Stephen Glass making one change to the side that beat Dundee 2-1 last time out on Boxing Day. Scott Brown returning to the starting lineup in place of the injured Marley Watkins, and with the matchday squad now expanded to nine players on the bench. There were spots for Dylan McGee, Matty Kennedy, and Connor Barron this was also marking a landmark 150 appearances in red for Lewis Ferguson. And it was the visitors who started the game brightly. Joe Lewis having to react sharply to close down a run by the returning Scott Wright before Aberdeen began to take control of the game. And the Dons nearly took the lead on seven minutes and good play in the centre of the park by Lewis Ferguson to win the ball back. He fed Ryan Hedges, who eventually led the ball into the path of Teddy Jenks. And the Englishman's snapshot smashed off the outside of the post with McGregor beating all ends up. McJenks again with a snapshot in 11 minutes from around 25 yards that McGregor had to act quickly to stop. The Dons now well on top, a King Ojo run on 13 minutes, followed by a cutback to the box and the on-rushing Scott Brown blazed over the bar. Once again, though, 
Aberdeen were to be on the receiving end of a shocking refereeing call. On 20 minutes, a fantastic cross-field ball by Hayes, finding Hedges, bearing it on goal. And after lofting the ball over McGregor, the Rangers keeper took Hedges out, but amazingly, despite it taking place right in front of an unobstructed assistant referee, and with referee Kevin Clancy having full view of the incident, no penalty was awarded. Visitors capitalising by bursting up the park, and a good ball in from Kent on the left-hand side fell between McCrory and Lewis for Haji to tap in from three yards, and it took the dawn some time to settle after the injustice of what had gone before. But on 36 minutes, good work by Hayes on the left saw his cross create all sorts of panic in the Rangers' defence before it was knocked behind. For a corner kick in the last action of a pulsating first 45 minutes, King Ojo again doing well down the left-hand side to chase down a Hayes ball, and his lofted cross landed perfectly on the penalty spot, but unfortunately... Christian Ramirez had carried on his run to the near post instead of holding back for what would have been a golden opportunity into the second half. And it was Aberdeen who started well once again. A Hayes free kick knocked down in the box by Ramirez, but Brown once again blazed over. And it was Brown with a hat-trick of opportunities on the 53rd minute as he met a Ramsey corner unmarked. But again, his header sailed over at the bar. Ross McCrory found his way into Kevin Clancy's little black book after a fine tackle to win the ball from Arelos. The referee clearly conned by the theatrics from the tubby Colombian. Ryan Kent provided the first part of his comedy performance, kicking the ground and hitting the deck like a sack of shit in the box. But to the astonishment of everyone in the ground this week's clown in black didn't award the away side a penalty kick for that one. Our first change for the Dons coming on 68 minutes, a King Ojo withdrawn for Conor McLennan. And then two minutes later, the Dons were level. Hayes' corner from the left met well by Ferguson and his header was blatantly handled by the mattress's son. And even Clancy had to give this one. Ferguson doing well to dispatch the penalty as the ball took a horrendous spin towards him during his run-up. Another one of those Masonic conspiracies, one thinks. Sending McGregor the wrong way, and it was all to play for. Dean Campbell replacing Calvin Ramsey in the aftermath of the goal. Ramsey appearing to have picked up a knock in a tussle with Ryan Kent earlier in the second half. Dons were well on top, but it took a fine Joe Lewis save to keep the sides level. A hooped volley from Morelos from a corner tipped over the bar by the big Englishman. And Ryan Kent then picked up his second yellow after a clumsy tackle on Brown, which the Dons captain made the most of, it's fair to say, to send the scouts are packing. And Brown wasn't shy in showing Kent exactly where to go. Aberdeen nearly winning it in injury time. A fantastic Ramirez cross inches away from being met by Conor McLennan before Terry Jenks had the final effort of the game as he placed a shot wide of the target after more good work by the American. On the data front, the Dons' dominance demonstrated in the numbers, 58% possession, 15 shots to Rangers 7, 447 passes with a pass success rate of 81% compared to the visitors' 323. Gavin, it's just you and I doing the review here. Your thoughts on last night? I would say looking in the way I felt after the game, disappointed we had not come away with a win. And in some way, that's the second time that's happened this season against the champions. The team that I think will probably still go on and win the league this year. So to be disappointed with our performance, not our performance, but the results of not coming with a win is to me a sign of progress. So a lot to go into, but uh, overall, pretty proud of the players last night. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, that's two games now against Rangers, two games where we've been on the receiving end of some horrendous refereeing calls that it's fair to say could have done us out of four points there. Um, there's there's no argument from my perspective about the fact that we should have won at Ibrox was it not for the calamitous decision to award a penalty kick to Rangers in the closing minutes and again big question marks over the, the Hedges-McGregor incident last night that just puts a completely different spin on the game I think if we go 
a goal up rather than having to chase the game from from a goal behind. Um, I think Rangers have only dropped points in five games this season in the league. Two of them a bit against us, so you know we're we're, we're nearly fifty percent of what's caused them to drop points in in the league so far. And I think it's fair to say it's not a it's not a Rangers side who are not who are exactly firing on all cylinders as they probably were last season. But by the same token, it's always a a tempestuous fixture. It's always a tough fixture, no matter what, with the resources they have at their disposal. For us to have taken uh, two draws off them, I'm, I'm relatively content with, although I think we should have won the game last night. I'm not sure if I'm in the camp of we should have won, but we definitely did not deserve to lose. I think a draw, yeah, I think a draw, maybe not fair. I think maybe we did edge it a little bit, but at the same time, I'm not sure we created much in the way of clear-cut chances. That would be my one uh, line of thinking as to maybe we didn't yeah. outright deserve to win the game. But yeah, like, again, once again, the stats don't lie. In some ways, though, I think at times, especially when we went one one down, maybe even up until we got the equal, I think some of our play was a little bit slow and a bit ponderous at times. A real hesitation to go out wide, which was frustrating all throughout the night. There were some interesting pieces on that, though, because there was a couple of times, especially in the second half, I noticed that, I don't, I don't know why I noticed it more in the second half, but, but I did. Whenever our wide players in the three um, supporting Ramirez, so whether that be Hedges and Ojo, or whether it was like Hedges and um, McLennan when McLennan came on. Generally speaking, when we had the ball, they would hug the touchline. And then as soon as, it was an interesting thing to watch, as soon as the left back or, the, or one of the fullbacks got the ball, both of them both of them would then make darting runs in field. They would come off the touchline. And it's clearly a very deliberate tactical ploy. And I don't know if part of the thinking behind this is to then bring fullbacks in the pitch as well and then create space for our our own fullbacks to overlap. I don't know if that's part of the thinking behind it, but there were certainly a number of occasions last night where I looked and I thought, certainly second half again, it looked as though our wide players, McLennan or Ojo, and then Hedges were in acres of space on a few occasions and we kind of deliberately didn't make the pass to them. And it was a little bit odd, I felt. I'm not entirely sure what the thinking behind that is. Yeah, it certainly wasn't a case of, you know, players not noticing they surely were aware of their yeah. presence and the space they had and like you say it just didn't happen um if that was a ploy it's a flawed ploy in my mind especially when you've got calvin ramsey who was seemingly breathing out of his arse after about well an hour's worth of play yeah i've seen a lot of people talking about how they felt that ramsey was taken off because he was gassed i'm not sure if that was actually what happened there it looked to me like he took a knock and glass in the post-match said it was cramp yeah, it looked to me like he took a knock. There was some sort of incident. I think it was when he chased back Ryan Kent. He made a really good tackle on Kent just not long before the, the penalty. And it looked like he'd maybe pulled something in that in that tackle. Now, whether he cramped up as, as a result of that or what, I don't... Maybe that is what's happened there. But yeah, it, it was an interesting one. I think as well, Ramsey was slightly blunted in terms of his ability to get forward because he was clearly worried about having to deal with Kent on the counter-attack, which is fair enough. I mean, Kent's... Uh, Kent's a, a speedy winger. He he put in a fantastic ball, in fairness, for the Rangers' goal. So you do have to give him a, a level of respect, I would suggest, in terms of like defending against them, and therefore maybe that did blunt our attacking threat from that side. But there were still opportunities, I still thought, even with the wide players above above that, to, to get the ball wide. It was interesting that we chose not to do it. But I think, for me, one of the, the pieces that was a real improvement on, on where we've been in recent seasons, I think, was the fact that we lose the goal there's the injustice that goes with the penalty kick before that as well. I think that we don't defend the goal as well as we as we as we could. We made it too easy for Rangers to get the park, but I think we I think we were a little bit frazzled a bit by the lack of decision. But that 
in the other box but that doesn't excuse being able to do the basics you have to be able to 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 put that to one side and kind of continue to play and we were maybe a bit rattled i think for five minutes after the after the goal it took us a little bit of time i think just to settle ourselves back down again but the one thing i was very impressed with was the character of our performance last night i think more often than not in the last three or four seasons in particular when you went a goal down against either side of the old firm in that scenario where it's you know it feels like everything's going against you I think it'd be very easy for heads to go down and for us to kind of almost roll over a little bit and just get done. And instead, that what I saw last night was a team with a lot more fight, a lot more dig about them, a lot more personality about them. Um, I thought we were brave on the ball a lot of times. I know that people looked at maybe sometimes we were passing the ball between our centre halves and it was a, maybe a bit ponderous. And I, at times I think it was, but at the same time I felt that we were trying to wait for the right opportunities to do things. There were a few times we made really brave passes up the park into feet into the middle of the park and you're relying on people being good in there making flick-ons etc and I, I was really impressed with the way that we we handled I think when that go down last night in our general performance as a whole I think even on the point of character you could go back to relatively recent times even this season with in a few occasions where I think in Dundee United where just an injustice happened to Ojo and the, the players I don't think responded in the way I'd expect them to yeah Maybe it was that level of injustice felt by, I mean, it's a stonewall penalty. Who's trying to trick me and think otherwise? I remember while we were at the game, people saying that when you saw it on TV, maybe it was maybe just a bit of a brush. It looks worse on TV. Yeah, absolutely. It's a clear penalty. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think they were rattled. I think one of the benefits we had was playing against a team where Rangers are different in this from, say, Brendan Rodgers' Celtic team, who are very possession-based and were happy enough to just keep hold of it and have you chasing shadows. Rangers are a very compact team and the, probably the root of their success is that they're capable of when they win the ball, they can move through the lanes very quickly with some quick passing. And, you know, they had some, got some talented boys up front and a lot of pace in their team as well. So maybe that in a way played into our hands. But yeah, I think led by Scott Brown, the midfield were very combative all night, always chasing the Rangers players down. Yeah, I think the, uh, I think the pressing game was impressive. Yeah. For much of the game, um, I think we chose our moments very well. Um, whenever the boy, who's at number three, Bassey, Bassey, yeah, got on the ball, I think we made a pretty deliberate attempt to pressure him and make him play in a way that's uncomfortable. And I remember when previous management were in charge, we would the ball would go to the perceived weaker centre back of the opposition old firm side, and we would just give him all the space in the world to run, sometimes to our eighteen yard box and make us look like fucking idiots. Yeah. So that part, very pleasing. I thought Teddy Jenks brought a lot of energy to the team. Um, faded a little bit, maybe when we weren't getting the ball in those areas so much in the second half. And on the point of energy and work ethic and how we played, not everything he did was great, but I thought Johnny Hayes last night was fantastic. Yeah, I thought Hayes was, I'm not going to say back to his best, but certainly reverting back to a level of form that we would hope to see. So maybe there is something in that bleach blonde haircut that will um, that will help us. I think you're right, though. It was interesting. I thought our pressing game last night was excellent. And I compare that to, we, we spoke about it at length after Celtic's visit to Pataudry earlier in the season, where we just got the press wrong all, all afternoon. We just never got it right. And Celtic found it very easy to play around us. It was a huge, huge leap from that last night. We got our press absolutely spot on. It was exactly what I'd be likely to see it of an Aberdeen team. We weren't doing it every single time, but we were picking the right moments to do it. And when we did do it, we did it really effectively with moving in units, really putting 
Rangers under pressure in the right areas. And like you say, like not giving the, like Bassey, for example, much time at all. Same with Goldson. Um, I thought it was from that perspective, very, very good. I thought Scott Brown actually, I didn't think he had a particularly great game, except for probably the last 20 minutes where the king of the shithouse just kind of took over. I think that the chances he had first half, second half, where he had opportunities on goal, I think he should have done better with them. They weren't necessarily difficult opportunities. It felt like he rushed them a little bit. Um, the header, I think he got underneath it a little bit, so I'd, I'd, I'd give him that one. But I thought he was okay, but I didn't think he was exceptional. But then I thought the last 20 minutes, he just kind of took over, which was kind of almost what you need. I mean, he buys the red card. Um, I think we've all had a good old laugh this afternoon around the red card itself. Um, everything that's gone around after it. Well, I mean, he lures Ryan Kent in. Yeah. Like Ryan Kent goes in there with all the intellect of your average man with only God <laughs> can judge me tattooed across his chest there. And uh, the send-off is just a thing of beauty. It is. And then the hug of Tavernier and everything that went with it is just absolute textbook. Lovely stuff. But I thought that, you know, there was guys, uh, you know, I feel that Lewis Ferguson, I thought, was excellent all night combative in the midfield did his job efficiently with the ball at his feet got up and down between box to box pretty well Teddy Jenks you touched on Jenks was kind of anonymous for large chunks of the game but I felt that his energy was what we needed in the game I thought he did a lot of good pressing work the ball never really seemed to come to him a huge amount when we were in possession but when it did I thought he did he was tidy Hedges was kind of Hedges a bit inconsistent with with what is with his work but still provides a good outlet still provides a good um threat with the ball at his feet Ramirez I thought put a good shift in fantastic cross he throws in in the last minute and you're kind of just wishing it was him on the end of it and not McLennan or or Jenks as it was as well in the second instance but I think a lot of credit also has to go to our centre halves last night again I know that we've talked about McCrory and Bates a lot on the podcast in recent weeks but it was good to see that I felt that their partnership continues to develop and I thought they looked pretty solid all night yeah, completely agree. Um, especially, I would put a special mark out to uh, David Bates last night. I thought yeah. he was absolutely superb whenever it came to challenging early for Mar- with Morelos. You know, he's can say all we want about Morelos, but he's a pretty decent striker at this level, and he's haunted us plenty of times. But David Bates was excellent in the way he handled him. And just his overall play, I think you can see every game, he gets fitter and fitter. And last night, there was a moment where he was ball was over the top and he's he's got half he's in better pace about him now actually yeah good size good on the ball yeah i think he's just every day every game is just getting better and better mccrory i've seen people suggesting that he was at fault for the goal i've seen different takes on the goal i was just going to come on the goal right now actually so this is as good an opportunity to do it i've seen various different takes on this where lewis is getting the blame for it i've seen takes where mccrory's getting the blame for it i think sometimes you kind of have to put your hands up and hold your hands up. And I actually think it's a fantastic ball into the box by Kent that lands right in the, you know, quote unquote corridor of uncertainty between goalkeeper and, and defender. Who And no one's really sure who should be dealing with it. It's a difficult one for a defender to deal with running back towards your own goal. It's very easy to stick a toe on them, stick it in your own net. It's a difficult one for Joe Lewis to, fully commit to as well because all it takes is a striker making a near post run across you to flick it past and you're, you're, you've got nowhere to go. Uh, I'm not sure either of them are necessarily fully to blame for it. I think that you sometimes, like I say, you have to hold your hands and say it's a fantastic ball in and Haji nips in to make the most of it. Just watching it as we speak. 
I think the one thing I'd say is that both Bates and McCrory are aware of Haji's presence. Like McCrory yeah. points Haji out, and it's one of those situations of just take the man yourself if you know yeah. he's there. So in that sense, a little disappointing. Um, it's not a huge blunder by any means from from McCrory. No, maybe just a little bit of a little bit more experience in the position. David Bates also should be aware that he's there. He's right in front of him. And as for as for Joe Lewis, yeah, I'm not I'm not having that as a Joe Lewis fault in at all. I would take it much more if that ball comes in at head height, and you would say Lewis needs to be coming and claiming that potentially if it's in that area. But I think when it comes in, I I, I still stand by. It. I think it's a fantastic cross into the box, and I think sometimes you just have to hold your hands up to that and 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 suggest that they've they've kind of done us a little bit there. Um, and yeah, you're right, McCrory season. But like I said, I think when you're running back towards your own goal, if McCrory's in a stationary position facing outwards and can attack it, I'd expect him to do more with it. When he's running towards his own goal, I can understand the reluctance to try and put a toe on it because, you know, as, as we all know, it could be very easy to deflect that into your own net. But I think I think anyone trying to, you know, apportion blame to either of them there is, is probably being a little bit harsh. I think it's maybe a collective snafu, but I don't think it's necessarily, I don't know, I... I struggle to say that that's really anybody's fault per se you know all i know is i've had enough of watching it now <laughs> yeah there we go um let's talk about the refereeing it's impossible not to talk about last night's game without touching on the refereeing performance by kevin clancy the, the penalty call or the non-penalty as it as it turns out i'm just baffled by it on a number of different levels clancy was pretty unobstructive with it i can't understand how the the, the main stand side linesman hasn't seen it I think what I've heard is that the main stand linesman said there wasn't enough contact and Clancy told Stephen Glass that he felt there was no contact. So even then, you've got a contradiction between the officials. I, I don't understand how there could be a, a view of the linesman that there wasn't enough contact because surely in that instance, if there's contact, there's contact. And that's that, I would have, I would have thought. It seems that way under the current rules. I mean, I remember thinking about when Rangers beat Hibs and it's because of a Porteous yeah. foul on Kent and it's there's not much in the way of contact at all but I did think at the time that that's a penalty and there's a lot more in the way of contact with McGregor and Hedges and um, it would appear as though there's been no kind of dialogue at all between the linesman and the referee for them to come out of those kind of contradictory statements I just yeah I can't for the life of me work out how it's not been given and I'll simply it's, it's another one of those ones where you're just like what is the point because and this is not sour grapes, but I just I can't help but feel that exact same situation happens at the other end of the pitch. Oh yeah. Only it's Joe Lewis and Ryan Kent. It would be a penalty. Of course it would be. And I wouldn't even be surprised in that instance to see Joe Lewis get sent off. I, which I actually don't think McGregor should have been sent off last no, night. I think, I think he makes an attempt to win the ball, but yeah, I think it's a booking, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens the other way around that Lewis sees a red card for that as well. You take that one, but there's even other decisions that I thought were odd throughout the course of the game. I thought McCrory's booking for the tackle on Morelos was just an outrageously bad call at the time. And I've seen it back again. It looks even worse now. Um, he gets it horrendously wrong to an extent on the Ryan Kent second booking. It's not a second booking by any stretch of the imagination. He's been absolutely done by Scott Brown on that one. And we'll take it every day of the week for, for obvious reasons. But the standard of refereeing, once again, it's just leaves an awful lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean what was the what was the deal with the penalty as well? Was that was it a penalty? Yeah, it's it's undoubtedly a penalty kick. But then even on the penalty, he should have told Ferguson to take it again. The ball rolls a good it nearly rolls off the spot. Um and Stephen Glass and even Van Bronckhorst were saying they could see it on the you know in the dugout. 
how Clancy can't see that from six yards away, I would imagine at the time, is is baffling. I mean, I'm glad he also didn't spot it because you know fine well what would probably happen with a retake. We'd have probably missed it just being Saw's Law for Aberdeen. But, you know, uh, like I say, standard of refereeing across the board again last night was just laughable at times. It's not the first time. It won't be the last time. Something needs to be done. Again, just looking at our overall performance, comparison, I guess, is, is inevitable with, with our previous managers against... Rangers against Celtic. I know that you know the previous incumbent, certainly towards the back end of his time at the club, but even earlier on, even when we were doing quite well, I always felt, particularly against Rangers, we were quite passive a lot of the time against Rangers. I thought that was a marked difference last night from us. I thought we were really at it early doors, the same as we were at Ibrox. And I'm very encouraged by this aspect of Stephen Glass's managerial approach so far that I feel that we're much more willing to give ourselves, to back ourselves, have a bit of a go against these teams. Um, yeah, last night was kind of reminiscent to what I think we worked out to be the last time we would have played Rangers at Pataudry, which was a 2-2 draw, when John Gallagher and Andrew Considine scored, where the first, what, 40 minutes were, as you say, the, the passive, very respectful, overly respectful Aberdeen performances against the old firm, where he just let them have the ball, really with no with no uh, intent of challenging them. And then after we scored, things changed. It was a lot more like last night. And that's probably the source of the frustration is that you know that these are teams that they're they're the best teams at our level, but they're not untouchable by any means. So the one thing I think I would say is that he's we've had a good few performances against Old Firm now. I think Stephen Glass needs a big win against one of them. Yeah, I don't disagree on that. Just to, uh, just to keep that going, because then, you know, Maybe he would suffer in the same way that Derek McInnes did to a point where you start to think you start to doubt yourself and your methodologies. Yeah. And you know, you revert to the form that everyone reverts to at some point. And, and confidence breeds confidence from that perspective, doesn't it? You, you get one win against one of them, you go on. I mean, we saw it in McInnes when this incarnation of Rangers were still dotting about the lower leagues when we had goes at Celtic and we, we viewed Celtic no longer as being this untouchable outfit anymore, but we could go and we could beat them and we beat them at Parkhead and then we beat them at Pataudry on a number of occasions before kind of Brendan Rodgers came in and spoiled the whole fucking thing. Um, and yeah, it'd be, it, I think you're right. It would be good to see us get a win against one of the two of them sooner rather than later, not just because, you know, it's always nice to get one over them and to get our points tally up, but as you say, to, to breed that confidence that, we can go on and we can we can do it against these teams. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I really was not. I know Rangers are sitting top of the table and they've been on a good run since Van Bronckhorst came in. I wasn't impressed by them at all last night. No, completely agree. I, it goes to what we were talking about with your man Rory from Aberdeen Live last night in uh, in Fierce Bar. It's not the same team as it was last year, and I don't see any, don't hear anything to suggest they're going to improve that squad anytime soon. Obviously, Joe Rebo's a big miss, but otherwise, I think they're more or less full strength. And yeah, there's not much to them. One thing, and I, I need somebody to clarify this, maybe someone out there in um, our listenership can, can confirm this. Did Scott Wright attempt to applaud the Aberdeen support on his way off the pitch last night? Did he do that? Or did I just think I saw that? That is what appeared to be happening. Unbelievable. After he was on the receiving end of a... Uh, a chant I've not heard the likes of at Aberdeen for quite some time, if ever. <laughs> yeah, it, it was um, boisterous, shall we say, in in the red shed last night. But let's um, let's not waste any more time talking about that particular individual. 
Top Dons for you last night, Gav? Top Dons last night. Yeah, like I said, Johnny Hayes. Yeah, not by any means back to the peak of his powers, but putting in the kind of performance that makes me think he might actually be someone worth having around for a little bit longer yet. David Bates, excellent for the whole entire game. I agree with you. Lewis Ferguson was good. Hedges was inconsistent, but continued to give them something to think about all night. thought Ramirez was good, but topped on. Yeah, David Bates and Johnny Hayes. Yeah, I think for me, I'm struggling to split Bates and Ferguson, I think. I thought, I thought both of them were excellent. I might just give it to Lewis Ferguson. I think, I think Ferguson has taken a lot of stick this season for a number of reasons, and some of it's been justified, but I thought last night was an excellent performance, and it does mean, hopefully, if there have been some clubs watching again last night, that if they decide they want to take a peek at Lewis Ferguson and they come up with a better offer than Calgary's attempt to do a loan with an option to buy if they happen to stay up, um, fuck that, I think would be the message to our Italian friends. Yeah, um, try again. Pay up or fuck off. In other news, this week, big news of the week was the announcement from Atlanta United Technical Director and Vice President Carlos Bocanegra that Ronald Hernandez would be joining Atlanta United on a permanent contract after a deal had been agreed between the clubs. Now, I suspect that Bocanegra might have jumped the gun a little bit on this one. No other details forthcoming at the time, and as at the time of recording, still no firm confirmation from either side that the deal is done, and still no details surrounding it. But it's fair to say that this move has left more questions than answers, and we'll discuss those after the break with Joe Patrick. In other news, Kevin Hanratty was recalled from his loan at Fort Martin before then being sent out on loan to Elgin City in League Two for the remainder of the campaign, where he'll link up with Evan Tyler, who made the same move a couple of weeks ago. And it would also appear that Tyler McKeita's loan spell has also been cut short at Fort Martin, but no confirmation from either club on that front. Mark Gallagher's loan spell at Fort for Athletic also coming to an end, a promising start for the ex-Rocks County youngster hampered by a spell with injury and he's found it hard to get minutes back into the side since returning on to the women's side the women got their week off to a flyer announcing the signing of striker Hannah Stewart Stewart who started her career in the former Aberdeen ladies iteration has good experience at SWPL1 level having had spells at the likes of Glasgow City and Forfer for Martin injuries have plagued her in recent years but has obviously impressed Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath during trials over the last few weeks and she put pen to paper on a deal on Friday evening and the women made their long-awaited return to action in the SWPL1 with a home fixture against Spartans at the Balmoral on Sunday afternoon this one coming a bit too early for new signing Hannah Stewart but it was just about as strong a side as the Dons have been able to field for quite some time with the likes of Kelly Forrest Ava Thompson Bailey Hutchinson Francesca Ogilvie and Ailey Shore were all available for the second game of succession as they faced a Spartan side who had drawn four of their last five sitting one pint behind the Dons and it was the visitors who made the brighter start Rosie McQuillan hitting the post after only two minutes and McQuillan again went close on 16 minutes but her effort squeezed past the post. It was the Donslow who grabbed the first goal. Francesca Ogilvie calmly dispatching a penalty kick on 28 minutes after Ava Thompson was tripped in the box. Keeper Harrison perhaps a little unfortunate went in after getting a decent hand on the penalty itself and Gavin our man on the ground maybe a bit of a soft penalty. A coming together I think if you were the team that were having that given against you, you'd be pretty raging. So yeah, um, soft for sure, but take the ball. Uh, Good penalty by Francesca as well. But truth be told, little to write home about in the first half that reflected the fact that the Dons were suffering perhaps from a lack of recent game time. And it was the Dons though who flew out the traps in the second half. A fine strike 
from 25 yards from Francesca Ogilvy on 50 minutes, doubling her tally and the Aberdeen lead. And in the words of Gavin Baxter, absolute worldy. Lovely stuff. 10 minutes later, though, the wheels came off. Callie Gibb pulling one back on the hour mark, finishing into the top left-hand corner of the net after good play by Marshall on the left wing. And Spartans grabbed that equaliser three minutes later. Marshall again doing well on the left side. And her cross was met by Galbraith, who nodded home. And it was Galbraith who scored Spartans third in the course of 20 minutes. Another fine cross from Marshall met by the striker and she headed in at the back post to put the visitors a goal to the good. And that was that. The Dons struggled to create any clear-cut chances in the final 15 minutes of the game. And it was the visitors who took the points, which sees them leapfrog the Dons in the table. Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath, disappointed, I would imagine, that for the second time this season, they've let a two-goal lead at home slip to end up on the losing side. And Gavin, you've been at both of those matches. What are you trying to say? I'm not saying anything. Don't go to any more. <laughs> yeah, um, let's say Spartans were probably the better team throughout the entire game. I think Aberdeen were lucky to be one up going into half time. Great goal from Ogilvy to make it 2 0. You think to yourself that, well, after a goal like that, especially going to go on and maybe get another goal and certainly see out the game. Um, just came down to the team not being able to defend the box from, from crosses. All three goals come from crosses of so people maybe just being a little bit on their heels not defending um, in the way they'd want. Could definitely tell that there's been no matches played for a while. I think there was a real lack of sharpness and touch all around the pitch. And Spartans, yeah, they just they just looked the stronger team and uh, that's what told. That's what told for it in the end. Next up, it's a visit to Hearts next Sunday and the girls will be looking to avenge that defeat and the aforementioned 3-2 defeat earlier in the campaign where, again, the Dons let that two-goal lead slip. On to the young team, Barry Robson's side returned to Cass under 18 league duty after a near two-month absence on Friday night. And it was a thriller at Cormac Park, a delightful Finlay Murray goal deep into stoppage time, giving 10-man Aberdeen a share of the points after Celtic had fought their way back from two down to lead 3-2 early in the second half. A double from Liam Harvey. Alongside Murray, the scorers as the Dons showed real doggedness to grab a draw after Alfie Babbage's red card just after the hour mark. Another fine result for Robson's side. That included 15-year-old Cammy Wilson playing on the wing. And on to Lone Watch. Tom Ritchie kept his place in the Huntley starting lineup as they went down by three goals to the Rothis in the Highland League. Elsewhere in the Highland League, no appearances for Jack Milne at Breakin or Tyler McKayta at Fort Martin. It's been suggested that both players have been recalled by the Dons, but still no official confirmation on that. Jamie Shingler was also not in the matchday squad for Keith as they ran out 5-1 winners at home to Strath's Bay Thistle. Shingler's spot at Keith also in doubt now after they acquired Ballant Demus on loan from Cove and he went straight into the starting lineup. And Shingler was spotted on the Dons under-18s bench on Friday evening. Elsewhere, Kieran Nguenya lasted the full 90 for Kelty Hearts as they were pegged back late on by Edinburgh City in League 2, that one ending in a Desmond Mason Hancock started for Sterling Albion and played the full game as Darren Young side fought out a thrilling 3-3 draw at Stranraer. Evan Towler kept his place in the starting 11 for Elgin City and he impressed onlooking Stephen Glass and Scott Brown as they were in Elgin, who were held to a 1-1 draw by Albion Rovers. No sign though of Elgin's new loan signing Kevin Hanrati in that one. Into League One, a start and another 90 minutes under his belt for Ryan Duncan as Peter Head snatched an injury-time equaliser to steal a 1-1 draw at home against Clyde. No Michael Ruth in the Falkirk squad once again, as they went down 3-2 at Airdrie. Luke Turner's Cliftonville not in action until Monday evening, where they face Glentoran, so they miss out on the editorial deadline for this one. 
fair to say some interesting times ahead for some of our loanees, with it rumoured that Makaita and Milne have been recalled alongside Gallagher and McIver. And with Michael Ruth looking out the picture at Falkirk, wouldn't be surprised to see some further movement for these guys in the remainder of the January window. On to our previews. Saturday sees the first ever senior meeting between the Dons and Edinburgh City as the Citizens travel north in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. Edinburgh managed by ex-Don Gary Naismith having a relatively disappointing campaign this season in League Two. They're currently sitting in fourth spot, uh, having finished runners-up in both of the last two seasons. They'd be expecting to have an iron promotion, one would imagine, but that looks doomed, certainly on an automatic level anyway, due to the blistering form of Kelty Hearts. Uh, Edinburgh scraping past local rivals Lothian Thistle Hutchinson Vale by two goals to one in the third round to set up the tie-up tawdry. And they visit the Granite City with one win in their last five, although confidence will presumably be boosted after snatching an injury time equaliser at Kelty last time out. Excellent Johnson striker John Robertson, no, not that one, is the danger man signing at the start of the season after being released by the Perth side. He's Edinburgh's top scorer with six goals in the league and four assists, although he started on the bench last time out against Kelty, very much a young side made up of a number of loanees from premiership clubs around the Lothians, Hearts, Hibs and Livy, all with representatives and a few older heads kicking about there as well. But no obvious names that jump out that people will recall from playing against the Dons previously. 26 scored 31 against in the league, so it's a team that shipped plenty of goals while not exactly being free scoring at the other end. Famous joint alumni, Josh Walker, who was at the Dons for a short spell in the 2008-9 campaign, scoring against Bayern Munich famously to put the Dons a goal to the good. And he spent two seasons with the Citizens prior to retiring from the game at the age of 30. Gents, your hopes, thoughts, predictions as we get our Scottish Cup campaign up and running. Yeah, well, I'm certainly uh, hoping and expecting to progress to the next round of the Cup. I know it's not a formality, but we're at home. And yeah, they're for the League Two. Their form is okay. They are quite a bit off the top, although maybe that's more about Kelty. Just tearing up. Uh, yes, you just got to be getting through that. In an ideal scenario, we would look much better and we'd put a few goals past it. We're comfortable. That's not usually the way Aberdeen perform in the cup. So we just need to get through it. And if that's a pretty scrappy game and we scrape through, well, so be it. It would be pretty shambolic for anything other than progression into the next round, to be honest. Yeah, I think looking at Edinburgh City's league position and overall form, it's seven wins six draws and seven defeats. So they're a pretty inconsistent team, probably telling you the story of a league where a lot of the teams can beat each other on any given week. I think there's five points between them in fourth and Albion Rovers in ninth. So that tells a bit of a story in itself. Like you say, some, no names that immediately jump out, but there is, you know, the likes of like Lewis Toshney who's at Dundee, Danny Handling was at Hibs, um, Lewis Kidd, I think it was at Celtic. But as Graham said, it's a big jump from League Two to the SPL where we are you'd like to think that we can just take this game away from them use our overall fitness and quality to to overwhelm them they will have a little bit of confidence from getting that result against Kelty I don't think too many teams will have taken a point off Kelty at home so they'll be feeling good about that but um, yeah I'm very confident that we'll have enough to to get past this round and get our names into the draw for the next round I mean on the face of it it's about is as cup draws go a home fixture against a team from the lower leagues is exactly what you're looking for to try and make sure you progress. It'll be interesting to see what sort of um, lineup Stephen Glass goes with. Um, it, the games are going to come thick and fast for us now after the winter break comes to an end. But we saw against Wraith Rovers early in the season that 
we maybe don't necessarily have a depth of squad to enable us to maybe play some fringe players here um, with a view to giving them some minutes, but also being able to get the job done. To me, it's the Scottish Cup. It's our one and only chance of actually winning anything this season. So go in with a full strength team as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I appreciate you got a manager, your squad when the, there are that many games, but this is at the beginning of that cycle. And if you if you if you go out full stop, there's going to be an inquest. If you go out with having played what most people would accept as an understrength team, not your first eleven, it's just it's really daft. His fingers burnt earlier on in the season with Wraith, so I can't imagine he would be taking any chances. I'd be absolutely amazed if he decided to. I mean, I think for me. Personally speaking, the game against Edinburgh City is a bigger game than the game against St Mirren on the Tuesday night. Oh, well, I think you've got... Okay, you're in the second half of the league, so the, I was going to say you've, you've got games left. You do, but there comes a point where that mantra doesn't really stack up and your time is running out. But I feel like, yeah, you'd be frustrated if you don't get anything out of the game at St Mirren. But if we've prioritised that and we go out on Saturday, for example, personally, that that's the wrong way around for me. So I agree with you. It's, it's a really big game in the context of the season because if we can you know if we can, if we can get through and then maybe you can get something from somewhere and get going in the league you've still got the cup to look forward to just feel like that's a really good way to start start the year off I mean our recent form at home against lower league teams in the Scottish Cup is not great um, I'm thinking to Dumbarton I think it was the, the first trial run of the Red Shed Dower Affair which had to be settled by a Sam Cosgrove penalty that I don't think ever was a penalty kick and I think the last game before that I can recall was the Stenhouse Muir when they grabbed a 1-1 draw here and we had to go down to Stenhouse Muir during the week, a very, very cold evening uh, on what appeared to be an astroturf pitch made of concrete. That's stolen valour. You weren't there. I wasn't trying to pretend I was. That sounded like you were trying to take some credit there. Myself and Graham made that trip down to Ockleview and yeah. I was using the Royal Way. Concrete with a little bit of uh, astroturf on top of it is how I would describe that. Amazing own goal by the defender, I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it goes to show if I, I imagine Edinburgh City are going to come and do what Dumbarton did to us, for example. Um, they're, I imagine they're going to come and sit in and try to be very compact and frustrate. And it'll be interesting to see how we deal with that. It'll only be our second game back after the the, the winter break comes to an end. The Rangers game kind of takes care of itself. It will be interesting to see what we set out on, what sort of lineup we put out there, and whether we try and. The Dumbarton game was a really frustrating one, as I recall, because you had the, the, the Red Shed trial, for example, going on. The, the kind of crowd was up for it more than I would imagine the crowd would normally be up for a you know a home tie in the Scottish Cup against Dumbarton. And it felt like we never really tried to get at, at them early doors. I think it's important that in a game like this, you try and, you know, you try and get an early goal as, as soon as you can to really settle any kind of, not nerves, but you know, make sure you're settled in the game. Make sure you, you put the other team under a bit of pressure and also to encourage them to have to come out a little bit. It sounds really obvious, but we need to win the game as quickly as we can. And then we can maybe then look at preserving some legs, getting some fresh bodies and later on in the game. Um, yeah, I remember the Dunbaran game was really, really, really poor. Sam Cosgrove especially was dreadful that day. Not a game that the Birmingham City Scouts were at, is what you mean. <laughs> suckers um yeah as i say we just we've got some very good players in our team we know that um it's a big step a big golfing class just take the game away from them get ourselves a couple of goals get some confidence going you know yeah you know we've not really hammered a team this year since well maybe heckin obviously in the first game and then submitting but we've not really given a team a proper doing so yeah let's get that build some confidence and take that into the league into the submarine game Enjoy it. That's what I like. I don't think there's a lot else to talk about Edinburgh City here in this game, to be to be quite honest. 
uh, predictions from you guys? It's a hard one because again, so like I think for disclosure, we are recording this on Sunday the sixteenth. So this game will be next Saturday. So we don't know what's going to happen with Rangers. We don't know if we're going to have some new personnel on perhaps in that time. But uh, so I'll just stick to I'll stick to a scoreline prediction and people I'm 99.9% comp will still be here come Saturday. Uh, 4-1 Aberdeen. Two goals from Lewis Ferguson, one from Ramirez and one from Dante Polvara. Nice. Like it. Graham? I'm going to go for 3-0 I've been saying a couple of times that Johnny Hayes is due a goal, so I'm going to say Johnny Hayes is due a goal, so he's getting one. Ramirez and then Calvin Ramsey. Aberdeen 2, Edinburgh City 1. We'll make it much more nervy than we need to, obviously. Jet and Dante Povara on his debut. There we go. Lovely stuff. Let's move on. So on Tuesday night, we make our second visit of the season to the Smyza Stadium in Paisley, looking to avenge our 3-2 defeat suffered at the hands of the Buddies earlier in the season. And we sat with St Mirren fan Kenny Leckie to discuss the game and how we see it going. Kenny Leckie, welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Good, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back on. No, excuse me. Hey, listen, you were um, much, much help in the Greg Weld conversation. Um a segment that went down so well that Greg's been able to reignite his career, I see, by getting a move to Dumbarton this week. <laughs> yeah, he really likes that big rock they've got next to the stadium. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Scored a bit of a worldie yesterday as well on his debut. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. So, I, according to I our guess. man on the ground there, yeah. <laughs> the man on the inside in the Greg Wild camp. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe we need to take the credit for reigniting his career. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's... Fuck it, we'll take it. Yeah, I think... Maybe it's like a New Year's resolution that he's kind of, you know, a bit like when you see all the photos of yourself from the previous year and you go, right, January, <laughs> January, I'm getting back onto the gym, I'm doing all that. So maybe December's podcast of us kind of sl- like slightly shaming Greg Wilde has made him score a world day uh, at the first games back. <laughs> so let's let's get started, Kenny. I mean, like next Tuesday night, um, the Dons travel to Paisley for our third encounter of the season. Um, it's a win apiece for each side so far so uh, this season. It's a bit of a tricky one. We were just talking about this before we started recording. It's a bit of a tricky one for us to preview right now is we're recording this on Sunday evening. Um, this is the Sunday evening before the winter break comes to an end on Tuesday. So none of us know how our opening pair of fixtures are going to go. Obviously, we've got Sevco 5088 Limited visiting Pataudry on Tuesday night. And then we've got Edinburgh City at home in the Scottish Cup. Uh, the buddies, you're away to Dundee United and then away to Air United as well in the Cup. So I guess first things first, How how's the January window gone from your perspective for, for the Saints? Well, we haven't signed anybody and we haven't sold anybody. Well, there we go. Um, which is kind of unusual behaviour for us at the moment because we are quite erratic and we tend to like almost like do batch cooking and sign loads of players at the one time uh, <laughs> in each window. Um and to be honest, I've been looking for a squad to be in preparation for this, and I can see so many players that I just don't really see why they're still at the club. Um, and, and hopefully, I mean, Goodwin has been talking that he wants to bring in new faces, and I think the fans are kind of very much pushing the club to do that because we're playing pretty poor at the moment. I mean, we haven't won in 11 games. Um it's been mostly draws and defeats um, since that uh, time we beat Aberdeen. 
Um, so we're in a bit of a rut when you compare us to this time last season. Last season was one of the best, best times, best seasons I've seen us play football in a long time. You know, we we just missed out on sixth place by you know a very last minute goal in the last game of the season. You know, we played really really well all, all year. This year it's kind of been a bit of a regression. So I think we do need some fresh blood to come in and shake things up and maybe give Goodwin some more options. So any specific areas of the park that you really think you need to strengthen? I can see what's well, 18 goals in 20 league games, so perhaps the attacking area? We've got four strikers. We've got Eamon Brophy, Christian Dennis, Lee Irwin and Curtis Main. And they're, they're just not scoring. So you've got three strikers? Yeah, aye. Because... <laughs> uh, the affectionately titled Robocop uh, in Curtis Main uh, because of his mad robotic inability to run. Uh, it's it's very typical for St. Man. I think I said this the last time I was on that we are the sort of club that players come to to not score goals. That is just a thing that happens. And I think a lot of it comes down to the formation we're playing this season. If Goodwin seems very much in love with this idea of playing... Three four two three four one two, with Jamie McGrath as a ten and two centre forwards, but we've got no width. And I think for me, the defence is all right. You know, we've got a bunch of really good defenders. I mean, Charles Dunn signed in the summer. And he's been excellent. He's been really really good. Marcus Fraser's probably been my player of the season so far. Joe Shaughnessy is, I think, our top goal scorer and uh, centre half. Uh, but it's width. I don't really like. The, the formation the manager's playing because it's very narrow and you can see those 18 goals is, is kind of pitiful um, and I think we're, we're sitting uh, currently ninth in the table but we're not that far off the bottom so we really need to get our finger out and do something Yeah, I mean you're only I think three points off the relegation playoff spot at the moment I mean I guess what, what were the aspirations for St Mirren fans at the start of this season and I guess more generally how do you think Jim, Jim Goodwin's doing? Well, the the first, the season in 2020, when it got, the league got cancelled and all that, it benefited us really well and it made us look better than we were because I think it was eighth we, we finished and by proxy, Hearts got relegated, which is always hilarious. Um, so yeah. They are Scotland's that, yo-yo club. They are, exactly. Um, so then the, the following season, last season, we did really well and I think there was a big feeling that great we can just push on from this maybe we can get into the top six if we really just kind of keep the heat keep the core of the team and that's sort of core of the team for me uh, of you know Jack Anik Joe Shaughnessy um, the centre of the park being the area that will fluctuate so much on this season is a bit we can't get right but we were hoping that Brophy would kick on and you know finally be fully fit and get some goals but that has been the big disappointment so far this season that we haven't uh, advanced on where we were last year. I mean, if we if we look at the, the games between the sides this season so far, I mean, obviously Saints won the first match between the teams earlier in the season, and it was a, a funny kind of game. It obviously finished 3-2 to St Mirren. I kind of felt Aberdeen were kind of coasting a wee bit until the red card, which really just spooked us big time. St Mirren took full advantage of it. Um, the the third goal was an absolute shocker from our perspective. It was at the point where Joe Lewis was going through his down phase, it's fair to say. Maybe intimidated by Robocop coming in to challenge for the header. And then, b- bizarrely, in the recent return fixture at Pataudry, obviously Aberdeen ran out 4-1 winners. It's a school I think that probably doesn't 
represent the way that Saints played on the day. I actually thought Saints played pretty well and I was actually quite impressed with the way in which St Mirren actually came to play football. It's not, you know, something we see a lot at Pataudry is teams out, basically out with Rangers and Celtic will come. They'll try and put 10, 11 men behind the ball and get away with it. They're all, we'd seen it on the midweek before Livingston came in and did the same. We we got an early goal against which helped kind of break that. But it never really got a feel that St Mirren were here to do that. It felt like they were here to try and play football. I was very impressed with uh, Greg Tanzer, um, left back. He was one of the only guys I think it was providing you the width we were talking about a minute ago. And I kind of feel that 4-1 was maybe a bit, I don't know, it flattered us a little bit, I think. Gab, would you? Yeah, I mean, it's Scott Tanzer. I think you've got Greg Tanzer on the mind there. Greg Tanzer, Scott Tanzer. There we go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think you're right in a lot of ways, but I think also if I was a Sibirian fan, I'd be quite concerned at who easily Aberdeen yeah. were able to to cut them open. I know they were missing Connor McCarthy, who thinks a big player for them as well. I don't is he back available? No, he's still out injured. So he's um, still out, yeah. Yeah, I don't I can't remember what injury he has, but it's it's potentially towards the end of the season he'll be back. I think he's out of contract as well. Yeah, I mean in, in a very classic month fashion, we're letting a really good group of players probably go for nothing at the end of the year. Yeah. Been there, done that. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, you can certainly see there's a lot of quality and you can see the style of football is appealing on the eye. But yeah, I think, as I say, if I was a St. Mirren fan, a lack of a threat and yeah, maybe not uh, as solid at the back as you'd, as you'd hope for them to be. Yeah, and I think that it's it's very interesting that it's that defence, I think, is pretty good, but it's what's in front of them that is where I see the problems as being. I think the best game tactically we've played all season was was actually the 0-0 against Celtic when we had to play the kind of team of ball boys and lads they found running about at the stadium that day because um, <laughs> one of the big problems is, is one of the signings we made this summer was Alan Power from Kilmarnock and a lot of times your manager brings in a player that is like in his own image and obviously Jim Goodwin was a quite a, a battling midfield player to say the least and Alan Power has come in and doing taking the term destroyer to literal levels that he's trying to destroy opposition players' career with some of these absolutely <laughs> manky tackles. And I, I was doing quite a bit of research before I came on. And since Alan Power came to Scottish football in 2017, he's been carded 54 times. He is a liability. It's just a shame because on the ball, he's good. But he tends to get booked very early in a game. And that puts pressure on whatever his midfield partner is in that midfield too. And we're just giving the ball away in the middle of the park. And, and in that game against Aberdeen, when he was 1-4-1, most of the goals came from loose balls mm-hmm. in the centre of the park. You know, that is this shocking that we've let that happen. We're not playing, in my opinion, our best players in the centre of the park. You know, Ethan Erehon is a, is a product of our academy. Dylan Reid, again, product of the academy. So fantastic players who seem to be kind of missing out on game time ahead of people like Power and Ryan Flynn. And I think a lot of it comes down to the manager trying to find a formation that supports Jamie McGrath. But he's in his he's a shadow of what he did last season. I was gonna to touch on let's touch on McGrath now. I was gonna leave it, but let's do it now because obviously there's been a lot of talk, a lot of focus between our clubs through January. It's been on Jamie McGrath. Hi there, guys. Um Sorry for interrupting this broadcast, but uh, just wanted to say thank you, really, for listening to this podcast. Your support is 
immensely appreciated. Not going to lie, at this point we talked with Kenny about the potential of one Jamie McGrath joining Aberdeen, but, and this has got nothing to do with the recent uh, revelation that the deal is dead in the water, we just made a creative decision to just cut that part of the interview. It's got nothing, to, all you really need to know is that the conclusions we reached is that Jamie McGrath, not good enough to play for Aberdeen, and we didn't really want him anyway. So, hey, it is what it is. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll move on with the interview. Thank you. How do we actually see the game on next Tuesday going? What do you think Aberdeen can expect? Do you think a similar performance and system from submit that good when employed at Pataldry? I think the break has probably done us the world of good. Because we played a lot of games, and obviously, as the SPFL goes, you know, they will always go out their way to make someone's life hard <laughs> and always laugh when old firm fans think that the world is against them. But it's definitely not, you know, some get done in so much. I mean, so when we've, we've obviously, like I said earlier, we've not won for 11 games. Those 11 games were in a very compressed space of time. And I was at the Nothing Each Job with Ross County just at the start of December. And even then we looked fatigued. Like we just didn't look like a team that had a lot of momentum going. We didn't look like we had a lot of energy. Obviously with the COVID cases, we were playing a lot of makeshift lineups. So I think the break has probably allowed Goodwin to get in and spend a lot of time on the pitch and training pitch with the guys, getting them fit, maybe tweaking the system a little bit. I hope he's tweaking the system a little bit. I would love to see us play anything that's not three four one two. I would love us to see us play more of a traditional four three three, um, and actually utilize the midfielders that we've got because we don't have width and we've not we've not brought in signings. And even if we do bring in signings, the chances of those guys being integrated into a team within the next seven days is is very very slim. So I think it'll be a very different game. Hopefully we'll be more defensively robust and we'll have found a way of actually scoring goals because that's the thing that's been pitiful for us all season is putting the ball in the back of the net. How do you view Aberdeen coming down? Do you guys view this as being an opportunity to get three points on the board? Well, I think yous have been pretty inconsistent so far this season. and We've also been absolutely pish on the road. We are the joint second worst in the league on the road. Yeah, and... Our home form isn't particularly good either, so I think it could be a draw. Um, <laughs> going into the game, though, it's such a difficult one to judge because there hasn't been much football, and both teams are sort of going in blind. I mean, we can almost discount the results that have happened just before Christmas because it's such a long time ago, and yeah. there will probably be a lot of movement within the squads over the next few days, like I was saying. I think we look at this as a what a fresh thought of just like let's go out get a positive performance even if we get beat get a positive performance happening because the last few performances before Christmas by the Celtic game were really really poor and you know we are a curmudgeonly bunch of supporters at the best of times let alone when the team's playing bad and we are very vocal at telling the players and the, the team how we feel so I think if the, if the players can go out and play some aggressive fast football it will really please the fans predictions it's really hard to do this because we've got two games to go before but we always do it so I'm going to say one each one each I like it Gav it's awkward doing this one there's an opposition fan here um, no. you're going to do a draw aren't you you're going to sit on the fence Gav don't worry I know we're shite it's fine <laughs>
Well, with that being said, if we're being truthful, we're not going to keep clean sheet because that's not what we do. Uh, that's true. 2 1, Aberdeen. 2 1, Adonis. Uh, two goals from Dante Polvara. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1 0, Aberdeen. An own goal from Curtis Main. <laughs> I was just going to say, in terms of Curtis Main again, I was always really disappointed when when the fans kind of brought up the Robocop thing because I've been saying for years that Lee Griffiths looks like Robocop without his helmet on. This is true. That is a very, very good shout. Yeah, and it's something that it brings me a lot of pleasure anytime I see his absolutely wild tail transplant. It's just like, you've chosen to look like Robocop with his mask on. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, when you're getting a hair transplant, you can kind of get your pick of anything you want to happen. And we've seen, um, what's the guy, Rob Holden at Arsenal. That is a comeback, yeah. man. That boy is, that is a comeback. I'm very pleased with that lad. And you think you could do anything and you've chosen to do that. Wow. So Curtis Main isn't he the real Robocop in Scottish football? That's Lee Griffiths. What I don't understand about hair transplants is if you're gonna if you've got the cash to go and do it, right? Why not go the whole hog? I want to see a guy going in bald and coming out with a fucking ponytail or something. Yeah, going full Steven Seagal. Yeah. Like if Scott Brown turns up looking like Steven Seagal next season <laughs> at Aberdeen, I think that would be one of the greatest things in football. <laughs> there you go. This has been very good chat, but I want to erase all mention of Lee Griffiths from this podcast. So, uh, yeah, that's fair. just in case we end up fucking signing them. Do you guys want him at St. Mirren? Ha ha ha. I've already got one of those idiots over at Dundee. We had Paul McGowan, who obviously has had his, <laughs> his uh, hobby of playing football interrupted with his real job of beating up policewomen. Um, and that's uh, uh, that guy. A talented player. That's a guy that needs a hair transplant. It's a guy who needs a life transplant. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Um, there, was, there was a game they were playing recently with the front three was Paul McGowan, Jason Cummins and Lee Griffiths. And I thought those guys are probably the, the most le- most likely Scottish football attacking lineup who could possibly rob a post office. <laughs> yeah. With- with Charlie Adams, the drunk getaway driver, potentially. Uh, another former Simon player. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I don't I, I would prefer that if we were to sign someone this season that it was not Holly Griffiths. I think I can speak for all of Paisley when I say that. Yeah, we're just desperately looking for somebody to sign in before we do. Yes. I've got I've got the fear big time. Big time got the fear about this. I mean the good thing is if he did come to St. Mun, there's no chance we'd ever celebrate him scoring because as I said at the start, when strikers come to St. Mun, they never <laughs> score. <laughs> well here fingers crossed for us. That keeps up on Tuesday night. <laughs> Kenny Lecky. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem, mate. We'll catch you later on. Thanks again. See you later. So that wraps up. Part one of this week's show. Join us after the break where we speak with Joe Patrick of DirtySouthSoccer.com. Trust me, you can stick that into your search bar. To discuss the news that Ronald Hernandez has moved to Atlanta and it is about to become permanent and we talk in more detail about both sides' perception of the Aberdeen-Atlanta link-up. And to play us out this half, it's nice username and board of Valhalla.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Seafood Sourcing. Formed in 2016, Seafood Sourcing are Scotland's premier seafood exporter, delivering the finest quality in fish from sea to shelf in the fastest possible time. With supply from all main Scottish ports, including from Europe's largest fishing port at Peterhead, daily catches are filleted by Seafood Sourcing's high-skilled team at their facility in Fraserburgh, prior to transport on a fleet of modern, refrigerated lorries providing deliveries to as far afield as Belgium and France within 12 hours. For all of your seafood supply needs, contact Seafood Sourcing on 01346 410 080 or by email on sales at seafoodsourcing.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. And as we touched on earlier, the big news of the week past came from Atlanta, where Carlos Bocanegra let slip that Aberdeen and Atlanta had reached agreement on a deal that would see Ronald Hernandez move to the States on a permanent contract. Now, at the time of recording, this deal has yet to be formally confirmed by either side, but it's fair to say the announcement caused a fair bit of consternation online once again. So we thought we'd speak with Joe Patrick, the managing editor of DirtySouthSoccer.com, and co-host of the Five Stripe Final Podcast to get the lowdown on this deal from Atlanta and to discuss how each set of supporters views the link up between our sides. Joe Patrick, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. Joe, you're the managing editor of the Dirty South Soccer website and co-host of the Five Stripe Final Podcast. So that's all things Atlanta United. How's it going? Hey, it's, it's going well. You know, the, our season's about to get going over here, so it's it's exciting times. Obviously, we're going to be talking about some of the developments uh, as it pertains to the start of that season. So uh, everything's going good over here. And I'm interested to you know also talk to you guys about how things are going over there because there's obviously lots of uh, mutual bonds between these two clubs. So it's uh, good to talk to you guys. Absolutely. No, definitely. And listen, we, we appreciate you taking the time to, to speak to us. I guess, first of all, the thing that caused us, I guess, to reach out to yourself in the first instance was the news that broke overnight here in Scotland about the fact that Carlos Bocanegra had... Um, let slip, shall we say, during a conference call <laughs> that um, Atlanta United and Aberdeen had agreed to a deal, apparently, for the permanent transfer of uh, the Venezuelan international Ronald Hernandez to join Atlanta United permanently for next season. So, obviously, Ronnie was on loan with yourselves last season. Now, this is a, a strange deal, shall we say, in the grand scheme of all things Aberdeen Football Club, the Ronald Hernandez scenario. Um, I guess maybe just to fill in your listeners, I guess, Joe, Um Ronald Fernandez signed for Aberdeen at the start of the at the end, sorry, of the, the January transfer window here in Scotland in 2020. An £850,000 transfer fee paid by us to Stabek, second division side in Norway, for a Venezuelan international right back on a four and a half year deal. This is, to put it in context, not the type of thing that Aberdeen Football Club generally do. Um, at £850,000, he becomes probably in the region of our second or third highest ever transfer fee paid. We've not paid any kind of transfer fee of that nature for, I don't know, Graham, what would you say? The guts of 15 years, probably? You're probably looking at the Paul Bernard. Probably that, if not a little bit beyond that. It's been a significant period of time anyway that we've ever spent anything like that. And you'd normally expect to spend that kind of money on a creative player. 
not a, right. not a defender, generally speaking. <laughs> yeah, and I guess what made the move even more bizarre from us was that we had a very uh, solid and competent regular right back, right wing back at the time in place. We didn't, it didn't feel like we were in the market for a, a full back. Um, the manager we had in place at the time, Dent McInnes, was, let's say, conservative in his signing philosophy. We picked up generally players from the leagues in England and in Scotland. We never, we, we very rarely looked outside the, the United Kingdom for players, certainly not South American internationals. It was a, it was very much a strange move at that at the time. And obviously it came hot on the heels. It came within about six weeks, I think, of the Atlanta United Aberdeen link up having been announced in December of 2019 I think it was so instantly it got a lot of people's tongues wagging about uh, was Ronald Hernandez signed for Aberdeen or was Ronald Hernandez signed as a favour for Atlanta United to basically as a holding pattern until such point as Atlanta freed up a foreign player position within your roster and we, we would maybe have him here for 12 months, wherever, how long it would take, and then he'd be moved on. Now, obviously, there's, there's been a lot of different kind of mitigating circumstances that have been in place. Um, Hernandez's family weren't able to travel to Scotland because of um, because of COVID restrictions, etc. So clearly that's going to have an impact on the player and his ability to settle and, and everything that goes along with that. Um, but I don't think it was a particular surprise to anybody when Ronald ended up being loaned to Atlanta last season. And I don't think it comes as any surprise to find he's not coming back to Aberdeen after the loan ends and to find now he's been moved on a permanent transfer. So I guess that hopefully that puts into context a little bit for, for your listeners, Joe. From from your side of things, on your side of the pond, I'd, A, I don't know how aware you were of the Hernandez deal when it first happened in Aberdeen anyway. Um, but even now looking back on it, do you think that our perception of the deal might be right here? I think your perception of the deal is spot on. Um, I had never heard of Ronald Hernandez until he came on the Atlanta United radar through the, through the loan deal, uh, you know, with Aberdeen, as you, as you mentioned. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting when it comes to these MLS teams, because in MLS, you have a lot of financial regulations that these teams have to adhere to in terms of structuring their roster. So I don't know how, how much your fans would be familiar with this stuff, but there's essentially, you have three players who are kind of free market. You can spend whatever you want on them in terms of transfers. They count against your overall team salary cap, a certain amount. Um, but they're kind of the, the free market guys. Those are the designated players. And Roland Hernandez is not one of those players. He would be somebody who fit, who has to fit into the rest of the budget, which gets very intricate. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it certainly seemed just based on what you just described, the background with which Aberdeen signed him and then pretty much immediately sent him on loan to Atlanta United. It certainly seemed like it was almost a way for Atlanta United to acquire the player while keeping him under certain parameters that allowed him to be, you know, allowed him to, to pass the regulations of the, of those financial restrictions that MLS has. Um, so it's very interesting. And, and I, I'm, I'm interested. I don't know the answer to this. I wonder if MLS has looked into this deal just because it does seem to kind of skirt the boundaries of what is, you know, permissible, at least just from common sense standards you know i don't know if there are any kind of legal or or you know that the league sets any parameters around doing deals like this but it really is interesting and when you combine it with the links that these clubs have financially based on atlanta united having purchased what was it was it 10 percent or maybe less than that it was never publicized what the size of state okay. was i think there was two and a half million pounds 
of investment provided from Atlanta United to Aberdeen at the time of the link-up. Now, what that equates to in terms of percentage share, I don't think it's ever been disclosed. And they and they said when they did that deal that there was going to be some agreements between the teams in terms of loans being done and scouting knowledge being shared and that kind of thing, which is understandable. But it just certainly did seem when, when once I started hearing about Ronald Hernandez and honestly hearing a lot of what the Scottish media and you guys were were kind of laying out for us over here to understand, um, it certainly does seem like a player that Atlanta United was specifically interested in, and they may have just used this mechanism to bring him in. And I would even go so far as to say, like, if you look at it, like he has the same agent that, or the same agency as Joseph Martinez has, who is Atlanta United star striker. A lot of the Venezuelan national team players are all represented by this agency, Seca Sports. Um, but Atlanta United has signed Joseph Martinez, or well, they have Joseph Martinez from that agency. Ronald Hernandez comes from that agency. They also signed another Venezuelan last year who plays for their B team, essentially, uh, Atlanta United 2. So it just certainly does seem like there are a lot of links that would directly link Ronald Hernandez to Atlanta and that Aberdeen may have just been used as kind of a, a pass-through, which makes me feel bad because uh, it just seems kind of slimy, you know? I guess the thing is, it's an interesting piece, I guess, from one perspective, because we, we actually put a poll out today just to kind of our followers on social media about are, are we you know do we think we're going to see maybe more of these types of moves going forward and how does that kind of sit within you know the, the Aberdeen football club's fan base you know our view of our view of life generally you know um without wanting to kind of try and play a game about whose club's bigger and all that kind of stuff you know Aberdeen is a a historic club you know 118 years worth of unbroken history you know, a lot of success in the 80s, a big name in European football still to this day. You know, when we talk to ex-players who've been with the club in, in recent seasons, they still talk about the fact, even in England, although Scottish football doesn't get a, a particularly good press, Aberdeen is still recognised as being one of the, the, the bigger names in the country. And so for us, I think it does feel a bit, we don't want to be seen to be some sort of like feeder club or subservient club to, with kind of no disrespect to Atlanta, but a, a relatively young oh absolutely they're pretty much brand new they're kind of like sparkling brand new lots of money yeah yeah totally but you know on uh on on the financial side of things you know and all that kind of good stuff obviously atlanta are, are miles ahead of where we are um as far as that goes but it re- it does raise an interesting dilemma because it's something i think graham you and i we've and gavin we've spoken about before about this link up was around you know how how do Aberdeen fans feel about jump back a step the Hernandez deal is a bit unusual because we, as Aberdeen fans, have not seen anything of Ronald Hernandez to decide if he's a good player, a bad player, a bang average player. Um, to put it into context, <laughs> Ronald Hernandez made six appearances for Aberdeen. Um, three of them were starts. He's <laughs> His entire minutes played for Aberdeen are 222, to be exact. Now, we paid 850 grand for him, so that works out as being £3,828 per minute of action we got out of Ronald Hernandez. <laughs> No wow. goals, no assists. I don't even think I've personally seen him in the flesh. I, now I think about it. <laughs> Graham, I think you might have. You were at his debut, I think. I have seen him. I'm one of the select few that has seen him in the flesh. <laughs> you know, so we we don't know if he's any good. And we can maybe come on to how Atlanta view him as a player. But looking at the link up is around, you know, we put that out today about are we as fans comfortable with the idea of maybe us being used as a pass-through, as a parking lot for players who may be out with our financial reach but we get them for 12 months or 18 months until such point as Atlanta can free up 
a space for him or were used as even like a shop window potentially maybe not even to go to Atlanta maybe Atlanta put up some of the money in a roundabout way player comes into the shop window does really well in Scotland maybe gets a move to the English Premier League for example and then we are able to sell him on at a big profit do we then you know you know profit share that between ourselves at Atlanta or however it might work out you know are we against that on the basis of well you know we might at least get to benefit from a player for 12 months 18 months who might be like I say well outside of our normal financial reach might be an exceptional footballer scores 30 goals a season or he's a fantastic goalkeeper or whatever it might be are we kind of comfortable with it and I think the general consensus at the time and I'm just going to try and bring back up the um I try and bring back the the, the poll just now you have to bear with me for two seconds because my internet is just to to, to crash on me just now and we'll I'll, while you're looking for that i'll just add something really quickly because i thought it was interesting the way you were talking about like are we comfortable with kind of being that club it's a it's a the same question that a lot of mls clubs face and atlanta united specifically it's on a different scale though we atlanta united fans ask themselves the same question which is are we are we comfortable with being a stepping stone for some Argentine hot prospect to come in and play a couple of years and then get his move to the Premier League or some big club in Europe. So it is kind of similar, again, a different scale, but there is sort of the same kind of, I don't know if it's uneasiness or whatever. Some people are very much fine with that. They just want to see the club have success. And if this player is going to come in and help the club, then that, you know, serves their interest. But some people want to see more, you know, players have roots and, you know, and it's just, you know, for me, it just seems like that's, purely subjective as fan by fan really as to as to what they prefer yeah looking at now it's a 70 30 split in favor of this happening not against it which i'm actually kind of a little bit surprised at um but i think that might be pragmatism taking over which is if we can get a guy in who does a job and as long as we don't lose out on it financially then is there a harm it's like it's like a loan deal in, in one respect and, and, and that's what I'll be really interested to see when the the details of this deal come out and by the way MLS clubs are very tight-lipped about this stuff, and I, I hope that there will be something that can be dug up because it just seems like a lot of this the tr- transfer information is much more um, widely reported in Europe where you guys are. Uh, it's just harder to get that information here, it seems. But um, it will be – I mean, I would expect it to be $850,000 minimum. I mean, I would expect Aberdeen to get their money back at the at the very least – um, but it will be interesting to see if it's it's more or less than that amount. I sure like if it's less, that would be pretty shocking. Um, it, it's it's also interesting because of his role in the team is uh, that's still a lot of money for an MLS player, and he's kind of a a rotation player. Yeah, he I mean he was the backup right back for the team last year, served in, at left back a couple times as well, but he he wasn't like a a star player or even a regular starter for the team. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, what's your kind of perception on the Atlanta side about signing him on a permanent deal? I mean, how did he do on loan? And is it really a move to spend that sort of money that you'd really actually want to make? Well, so nobody knows how much, obviously, like we were just talking about, like nobody knows how much money has been spent on him. So I think that when that does come out, that might change maybe the way that some people are feeling about this transfer. But overall, people are are, are very happy to, to see him back because when he did play, he was very, very I wouldn't say he was like outstanding, but he very serviceable. You didn't really notice that the starter on either side was out. Um, he's a, a reliable fullback. I was honestly expecting him to be a little bit pacier and kind of be a, a very modern kind of up and down style fullback, which he does like to get forward, but he's kind of more of a, a physical presence. Um, but he does have some skill with the ball. I don't know if you've seen, he, he had like a, he's had an, a goal and an assist for Venezuela this year. One was, 
He had a goal in the Copa America and I think an assist in a World Cup qualifier. So had success there as well going forward. But um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's people have been um, very, very positive about this news. It's going to be an interesting one because like you say, I know on the MLS side of things, it generally is very tight-lipped about transfer fees and all that kind of good stuff. It's very rare for that to come out. Um, it's certainly becoming more the norm in the UK and that as well for that to be the case. You just get, it's an undisclosed fee. But Graham, I think you would agree with me on this one. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Aberdeen Football Club to put out there how much money we've received for this transfer, given the, the noise around it. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. It's the first sort of interlinking of the clubs with this new new partnership, if you like. Now, I know we've spoken on this many times. I see it feels like it's never had the opportunity to actually start with COVID and restrictions and all that. So I kind of hope that maybe we can you know, draw a line under this at some point and we really do get the relationship both sides thought they might want. But on this particular one, given it's the first one and certainly the perception here is that it's all a little bit shady, it's not quite clear... I think it is quite important. I don't know if they will quote the number, but if the statement comes out and says he's moved, we've transferred him, Aberdeen has not lost out, then that's probably okay from my point of view. They don't necessarily need to divulge who's getting what. If the statement is such that we've broken even, worst case, or we've got a little bit out of it, or by the way, it's greased the wheels and we're getting someone from Atlanta going the other way to help us fill a, fill a vacancy, I can live with that. If it's radio silence and undisclosed and all it does is it uh, it just stokes the fires of the conspiracy theorists like myself. Uh, the club <laughs> has an opportunity to try and put this to bed and it'll be interesting to see how they play it. Yeah, because I think as well, what we've seen today all, all day from Aberdeen fans is around it. I think if you're in favour of, or you're not necessarily against this type of arrangement going forward, there needs to be a level of transparency at the right. very start about it. And if there's a view of, but then this may play into Joe, what you're talking about, or whether or how the MLS would view such an arrangement and maybe whether they would take a dim view on it. But if there was a level of transparency around, this guy's been signed for us, but he's a developmental prospect between ourselves and Atlanta. Even if you use like that sort of language at the start, people can, people are not stupid. They can read between the lines and say, okay, if this guy turns out to be decent, there's a good chance he's going to be moved to Atlanta or he's going to be moved to somewhere else and we'll come to some sort of arrangement on the commercials between the two clubs. But it's a bit of a joint signing, so to speak. Um, I think the fact that it was sold that Aberdeen had scouted this guy for like <laughs> yeah. months and months and he was on our radar and we were really dead chuffed to do it. And it was pretty plain to everybody at that particular time. I think now that might not seem like such an outlandish statement. We've got a new head of recruitment who came in in the summer. We are definitely casting our net further in terms of looking at players. And obviously that was part of the link up. One of the benefit that there's meant to be with the link up in Atlanta is that we can both benefit hopefully from each other's scouting networks. And it, and it links into what I was talking about with the agencies, you know, if Atlanta has, you know, has players that they know about maybe. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I've got no real issues with that. Um, it's about the fact that at the time it was sold, as this is a guy we've been tracking for ages. He's an exciting talent. It's a four and a half year deal. It's a significant transfer fee. And he comes, he's going to be a superstar. And then it's like, we see him for, well, I said earlier on, six games. And then he's packed off to Atlanta. And we've no idea whether we're in a hole financially on it or whether we're going to get our costs back or what's going to happen. And I think that level of transparency is just what, what everyone's looking for. But that's maybe enough about Ronald Hernandez. Um, there's a saying in Aberdeen about, you know, once a dawn, always a dawn. I, I'm not entirely sure if that applies to Ronald Hernandez. I mean, I don't know anything about him. Um, I mean, it's again, just like to kind of put a bow on it's the, the weirdest thing about this whole deal is it would be much 
more understandable if he had like played an entire season for Aberdeen and then came over or something. But the fact it was just the fact that he just never got in that team is the most bizarre part about it. But you know, who knows if he's always a dog or not? <laughs> I, I think part of that could be because the manager we had in, tight, in charge at the time. I just don't think he fancied him. I don't think he wanted him. Yeah, that's what I read about. Yeah, I, I think he was told you're getting this guy. He played him on his debut once, played for 45 minutes and got hooked, I think, or, or an hour and got hooked. Um, and then we never really saw him again. Um, it would have been interesting, I think, to see what happened to Stephen Glass mm, been yeah. in charge um, at the time, whether Stephen Glass might have been more on board with, with giving the guy a run. COVID clearly got in the way of all this as well. Um, I, I, have, I have a huge amount of sympathy for a guy like Hernandez moving from Norway to Scotland in the middle of a pan or just as a pandemic begins, his family's not there. He's having to do like isolation. You know, he, he couldn't live with anyone else. He couldn't really settle in the city. I get all that. That's, that's really tough. And if the move to Atlanta allowed him to at least, you know, reunite with his family and stuff, fine, fair play. You need to look at the kind of human element to all of this as well. But the whole thing just stinks a little bit to be, to be quite frank. And it'd be good just if there was some honesty in it. But yeah, like I say, let's move on from the, the Hernandez deal, I guess. Um, let's just talk more widely about the Atlanta Aberdeen yeah. link up. Yeah. I kind of mentioned to you before we, we started, we did speak with, um, with, with, with Doug Robertson from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a little while ago about this, but it's always interesting to get different perspectives and different takes on, on, on this relationship. I mean, when the announcement came out um, December 2019 that there was going to be this strategic link-up and Atlanta had invested some cash into Aberdeen, what was your kind of you know, view on it? What was the kind of take on it from the Atlanta United support, do you think, about this link-up and... What did you kind of just generally, I guess, what, what did you take away from it? So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans here didn't really know what to make of it, to be perfectly honest, um, because it's just not, you know, there are so many things about, you know, football, soccer, however you want to say it, um, that are, are so much different than the traditional American sports because of the global nature of it. And the fact that it's not like all of our sports here have like a are commissioned um, and it's a, a single entity. And now you're dealing with all these different leagues and teams from around the world. And so obviously this kind of deal perfectly represents that landscape of having teams in different regions where you have, um, you know, benefits you can pick up off of different teams. And so uh, personally, I think it, it, I don't know if I would say it was sad, but um, it does seem to me that this is just the the way that the forces of, modern football are going like this is the just the way that the sport is evolving if you look at Manchester City um, all these big clubs have kind of teams in all these regions um, for marketing purposes granted this particular relationship does not seem to be at least at this stage so much about marketing it does it really does seem to be focused on the sporting nature of it which is I think good for both sides um, I think that Atlanta United will surely send players to Aberdeen um, young players, most likely to just kind of further de their development gives them another aspect of that whole development pipeline. Um, and so I think that's, that's good from Atlanta United's perspective. I'm curious to kind of, you know, throw that question right back at you guys, because again, I feel like when I think about it from your perspective, something you mentioned earlier, it's like you are a much more established, you know, historic club on the world stage and when that kind of environment meets these modern forces, like I was talking about, um, sometimes it's not as it's not as seamless. You know, it's not as uh, you don't just pick it up and go, oh, yeah, this is beneficial, you know, because you've got you've got traditions. You've got like certain things that about the sport that you like, maybe um, that 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 aren't kind of in that modern that modern realm. Yeah, I think so. I suppose to go back to your original points, you're absolutely right so far. 
There's no suggestion. It's about marketing because there is absolutely no way you would know in Aberdeen that there's any sort of relationship other than Hernandez Gate. There's no way you would know we have any sort of relationship. You know, when this was announced, we were quite enthusiastic thinking, oh, maybe we'll get the opportunity to, I know there's TV rights issues, but simplistically, maybe we'll get the opportunity to stream games or we'll get access to them through a season ticket or, you know, there might be bits and pieces in the club shop and vice versa and maybe fans will get the opportunity to interact and we'll know what's going on with Atlanta, whether it's just dipping in and out the scores and, and stuff like that. And none of that exists. Now, maybe that's been put on hold with just the way things have been over the world the last 18 months. So you maybe say, right, okay, it is just a sporting relationship. It doesn't feel like that's really got going either. But I was quite enthusiastic about it so a little bit of context about Aberdeen is where we're kind of in this no man's land where we're not capable of challenging Rangers and Celtic consistently over a season for the league, for example. But generally speaking, we're a little bit better than the rest. So we can't really we can't really push on. But generally speaking, we're not in danger. And if all we're doing is shopping in the same market, what do you think would change? So when the Atlanta piece came in, you think, well, this could be really quite exciting. For example, you know, the scouting piece, you guys are looking at, well, generally speaking, probably not Europe. So you're looking at completely different markets. And we were conscious of the fact that, okay, Atlanta have probably got the firepower financially. So that might mean that we get them for a, a wee while and then they move on. But you know what, like I said, if we get someone different, you can offer something that we don't normally have and we benefit for a year, 18 months, whatever, I'd have been okay with that. So I was quite excited about it. It doesn't really feel like it's got going. And I also think I include myself in this with sort of a tendency to view our club. You know, it's our club. It's an institution. We've always done it this way. So that's just the way it's done. But you do have to, if you don't have a different point of view and you can't think outside the box, someone else will and they will do something differently and they will yep. get the results and we'll all be thinking, why didn't we do it? So I have to be honest, I was really quite excited about this. It was something different. I felt we needed a change of direction, how the club was maybe run and how we were looking. This doesn't really feel, I don't really feel short change at this point. I just feel like it's never really got going. But what I haven't seen or heard from either side is any noise around it actually getting going. You know, we're, talk, we're here talking about um, to each other because of Hernandez, not because either party has announced, right, the next step in our relationship right. is that we're going to do this. And we're both thinking, yeah, this is exciting. We're we're kind of here because something we don't like's happened and that's got us together. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it, it, it actually is interesting. I, I've been, I want to mention one more thing about marketing. Um, there was one kind of, you know, if you want to call it marketing or whatever, uh, Atlanta United rep- executives went to Aberdeen and kind of picked up some tricks of the trade about how to kind of best represent their own club here to our local fans, just in the way, you know, some some signage things, some things around the stadium that they could do better to make the fan base feel more community oriented. So I, I, I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, no, that's good. And that's not, I'd either forgotten that or I wasn't aware of that. So it's good that maybe something has happened. It just feels like it's all gone a bit quiet on both sides. And I think that COVID probably impacts that a lot too. I I think that really has spoiled it, yeah. COVID's had a huge issue in it because uh, Jack McKenzie, who's one of our uh, up-and-coming youngsters, he's broken at the first team this year. It was well reported that he was actually meant to come to Atlanta last year last season now whether he would have been part of the Atlanta United 2 setup or whether he'd have gone to the Atlanta United setup I don't know but I think there's definitely some opportunities there around 
giving some of our young players in the youth academy and um, the opportunity to travel to the states do something different maybe even i don't know how feasible this is but for them to link up with local colleges or universities or whatever from further their career uh, further their education at the same time alongside their youth career play different football in a different environment etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that could be beneficial i think that could be beneficial both ways potentially on a, on a youth academy level i did too yeah. Um, all I would ask is that you don't send us any more Jack Gers if you don't mind. <laughs> Poor Jack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's. <laughs> but Graham's right. I think COVID really, really, you know, had a big impact on us. I think a lot of Aberdeen fans as well were maybe hoping that Arthur Blank might just want to chuck us like 30 million quid <laughs> and we could maybe like bankroll us to become champions of scotland or something that'd be quite nice um i I will throw out one name if you if you want a name so uh, this might cause uh some commotion among our fans because nobody has proposed this and to be fair i don't i don't think it's likely but there's a there's a kid that plays for the came up through the academy finally got a a professional contract recently uh his name is jackson conway he's a big-bodied striker um, can really put his foot through the ball. Like that's one thing that I noticed about him is that when he when he when he strikes the ball, um, it's like it's a solid contact. He's not scuffing a lot of shots or anything. And and uh, but just again, he's one of those players who got a little bit of time last year. But it's really hard for that kind of a player to just make that jump from the academy into the level of quality of ML, of of Atlanta United's team. Um, and I wonder maybe if you know going into the a, a first team at Aberdeen. Um, would be a, 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 a better transition for him, especially, again, to play under a manager in Stephen Glass, who he would have played under uh, at Atlanta United too, would make for a comfortable transition for him. And he, I think he also had – he uh, his grandfather was from England. So, anyway, there's there's one name, Jackson Conway. Maybe look out for it. That would be a dark dark horse name that might, might make this state. Dark horse. Well, we're certainly looking for a backup striker to Christian Ramirez, to be honest. So, um, might you know, be. That, that would be helpful. <laughs> But it's interesting because even on the marketing front, um, you know, Graham's touched on it. If you go to our club shop, you wouldn't know there was any sort of link up. There was talk, you know, uh, even basic thing I thought would be you'd be able to pick up an Atlanta United jersey in the Aberdeen club shop if you wanted to and vice versa. You might be able to do that in the States. It might be Aberdeen. And there's no reason why you couldn't both of our teams or their are kit manufacturer or Adidas, for example. So it's not, there's not even like this licensing issues or something you couldn't be overcome with that. Um what I thought would been would have been quite interesting to see, and it's it's kind of again, I think COVID has probably delayed this quite significantly, was that Aberdeen, we've been talking about moving to a new stadium now for 20 years, probably. Um, we finally have planning permission for uh, a new stadium beside our training ground um, on the outskirts of Aberdeen. That's now being kind of potentially challenged from the perspective that the, the city council in Aberdeen have have put up some land which is quite close to the existing stadium now um, and seeing that could be made available to us if we fund it. Now, one of the things I thought would have been quite interesting, and, and maybe this will be something that does happen, is obviously that Atlanta United, that the, the uh, Mercedes-Benz, it's an incredible stadium. And if one thing, if any of our listeners know, if you if you travel to the States and you go to a, a sporting occasion, whether it's NFL or NBA or, or, or uh, Major League Baseball or the NHL, whatever it is, Americans know how to do sporting events and know how to make them uh, yeah. an all-day yeah. event and they know how to make them a, a you know some an, an experience and an occasion and it'd be interesting to see if Aberdeen can take any lessons learned or you know um ideas from from Atlanta as far as that because that's one thing I think that we kind of do miss a little bit at the moment here in Aberdeen it's difficult to do that sometimes because obviously the climate and you know all that kind of stuff makes it difficult to encourage somebody to go tailgating um 
in the depths mm-hmm. of the Scottish winter <laughs> next to the North Sea. That's not going to be something that's going to be um, particularly appealing. But I think there's certainly things there that we could learn from each other about how you do, how you do sure. that. Um, and, I, and again, our stadium plans have kind of been shelved at the moment, so that, that'll be quite a, a distance away, I, I would think. But all in all, I think we, we're probably all agreed. It's just maybe still a bit early doors. It feels like it's still in its infancy a bit. But I, I would like to see a little bit, if it's going to be a thing and it's going to be something that is going to persist for a while, I'd like to see there being a little bit more obvious tie-ups and link-ups, whatever that might end up being. Yeah, and I, and I think Atlanta United fans would like to see movement of players under contract with Atlanta going to Aberdeen, kind of like with Jackson Conway, who I mentioned earlier. I think Atlanta United fans would like to see those players move in that direction. Um, one, for the player's development, so they can come back a better player and produce for Atlanta United. And I think like for the from the club's perspective, it would be maybe beneficial in a marketing stamp for a marketing standpoint to see a player go over and maybe it gives you more interest to check out Aberdeen games because you want to watch one of these players who might be playing one of the games. So I think that that would be a big stimulus, I think. And I think that that seems to be kind of the next step in the progression of this, um, of these two clubs and, and having this link. I think the issue that there's always going to be with this is there's a, I think if Aberdeen were to announce tomorrow that we were taking Jackson Conway on loan, Graham, how do you think that would go down? I think in the the current environment, probably not brilliantly, because it, it it would appear that we have spent a lot of money on a player for Atlanta for no return, other than a young guy trying to find his way in the game on loan. I don't think mm. that would look good in context. Now, if if things were slightly different, and we were getting someone that maybe had a bit of hype in Atlanta and he had a reputation and they were confident that he was going to be one, you know, for another couple of years, he just needs a different experience, different, you know, some, some different learning. I th- I'd like to think we would be looking at it thinking, well, we need to try something different. Let's go for it. But I suspect that would make us look like the weaker party in the relationship. And I think that might, that might st- stick with people. That might be a difficult one to swallow. I was kind of looking at it as well, again, from the context of the fact that, the two players we've had from Atlanta United have not been great. And I'm being very polite there when I say that about John Gallagher. John Gallagher and Jagger, it's fair to say they didn't really pull up any trees <laughs> since they've been here. Um, I would definitely say that those two players were not, I, I would definitely not put them on the same caliber as Jackson, Jackson Conway. Jack Gurr especially, he was kind of a out of nowhere, like local local college kid who kind of, Kind of impressed. I think Stephen Glass probably liked him, which is why he made that move. But yeah, I, I totally understand it from your perspective. Which brings us to an interesting point. I don't know, um, Joe, I'm going to ask you for this one because we this week we announced that we've um, signed um, Dante Povara. He's come from Georgetown University. He's the Matt Herman okay. trophy winner for this year. Seems to be very, very highly rated. Um, do you have any sort of like information about this guy? Know much about him? I do. I know nothing about him other than, you know, the having won that, having won the award, is, that, that award is a good mark. That's like, I think that's the best college player. It's, the co- college soccer here is really, soccer alone is kind of a niche uh, interest and uh, college soccer is on a, on a totally different level. I think they do like, uh, you can just have like an infinite amount of, uh, of subs in college soccer. So you can, you can just like go off oh, yeah. and then come back on later in the game. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I think it's like a different, different, different sport. I guess just to put that in context for you, when that was announced the other day that we'd signed this this kid, um, it's fair to say it probably it probably attracted more negative like feedback from Aberdeen fans than it attracted mm-hmm. positive feedback. Now, 
I think most people look at it and go, okay, I think we're taking a punt on a kid who seems to be very highly rated. He's come out of the New York City Academy, gone to Georgetown for his education, played there for a couple of seasons in NCAA Division One, has won this player of the season, whatever to, uh, trophy. We've acquired him ahead of apparently some MLS teams um, and also ahead of some European teams, apparently. So it potentially is a good marketing piece for us because we can now... yeah. If, if he's a success and he goes on and he does well and he plays first team football, it maybe gives us a different market in the US to tap into because we can say to kids coming through that system, look, rather than put yourself into like the draft, for example, you can come and play in Europe if that's what your kind of dream is, is to play over here for whatever reason. And I think I think the issue, with, again, with this, is, it's a bit like MLS, I guess, from this perspective, is that in MLS, you've got a select group of players who are excellent and they could probably walk into any league in the world. And then the drop-off to other players is, mm-hmm. is, is huge there's really high highs but there's really low lows and i get the impression that college football is probably a little bit like that mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah so it becomes very difficult to kind of gauge whether this guy's any good or if he's hopeless or whatever but i think a lot of people are being tainted by the galker and Gurr signings understandably i would say i mean but kind of disregarding the christian ramirez signing which has gone very well for us and Ramirez is a guy who played NCAA, uh, NCAA Division 2 football so it's a division below where Povaro's coming from Ramirez has had a pretty average career would you say MLS yeah uh, yeah um, above average average yeah yeah I mean not a, not a superstar or anything but a, a, a solid player yeah yeah did well at Minnesota but also spells at LA and Houston were kind of underwhelming to say the to say the least he's come here and he's, he's done well in fairness to him um he's got his limitations but put the ball in front of him in the kind of 18-yard box within the width of the goal frame, you've probably got a, a chance you're going to get a goal. So he's done all right. And that's why I think if there was another loan player coming from Atlanta right now, I think that that would maybe not go down particularly well with the support, unless, as Graham said, it was a guy who's coming in with, a, you know, if you want to give us Martinez, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a different conversation. He did just talk about wanting a new contract, but... Uh... <laughs> So, uh, so I got a question for you. So, would it would it be would it be different if there was a full perm- if there was a permanent transfer deal uh, for a player coming over? Would would that make a difference? Is is the loan kind of a, a sticking point? You think? Well, I mean, Jack Gurr is here permanent. That is true. So, so is he still in con- is he still under contract there? He's still here currently. Okay. I think his deal runs out in the summer. I think if it was a if it was a, a sort of an established player who had right. played in the first team for a couple of seasons was a regular starter. So everyone's got a feel for what level he's capable of performing at. And then he arrived here. I think that would be completely different because then we were getting the finished article, if you like. We are not finessing a young guy who may or may not be good enough. We're getting someone who's demonstrated that he can play at what realistically is a comparable level. I think that would be really quite, quite good. And I think a lot of people would buy into that. I think on some of the other guys... There, there is an element of snobbishness with regards to the game in America. So there is a tendency to be like, oh, well, he plays in the States. How good is he really? And I think that maybe, I suppose like every league, every league has some bad players and every league has some good players. That just, I think there is still, people need to warm up to the idea that the game in America is massive and there's a lot of good infrastructure and there will be a lot of good players out there and coming through. We might not get them, but but they do exist, and shopping in that market is not a silly thing to be doing because there's definitely talent out there. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's totally human nature when uh, when 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 you sign a player from a foreign market and he does and or two and that don't turn out, um, you know, those, those painful transfers maybe stick with you a little bit more than um, a decent signing like Christian Ramirez has seemed to be. So I, I, I definitely understand maybe the hesitancy that that fans would have in, in terms of making a signing like that. But, um, you know, there is this guy around Hernandez who, but I guess that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't know what he's like. <laughs> Did you want to talk about Stephen Glass, Joe? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious as how, how you guys have, have taken to him. Cause I have talked, I talked to him, you know, several times uh, when he was the manager of the twos, even before COVID, I was able to sit down with him a few times and um, you know, it was interesting. I'll just kind of give you my perspective on him first before I, yeah, I hear yeah. from you guys. But like, I always, you know, nice guy, stern guy, um, kind of tight lipped, I would say just kind of um, didn't want to leak anything, um, you know, salacious to the press. Not that, not that we are like some hot press core here uh, in Atlanta or even in America in general, but um, I thought he was, I thought he was good for the twos because he kind of ran at a tight ship, a very professional kind of uh, group for that. I think was, was beneficial for younger kids. I'm kind of um, curious how that has translated to the first team. Cause he did not have a lot of success with the first team here when he took over, but granted the, the whole team was pretty much in total disarray at that point with COVID going on. I mean, I guess before we answer that question, I'm going to do a really cheap and shameless plug for your listeners, Joe, on this one, because if you want a deep dive about what we think about Stephen Glass, our last episode that just went out today um, of our podcast, we we spoke about, we're in the middle of our winter break here in Scotland. We did a review about what we think, how we think Stephen Glass performs. If you want a really, really, really deep dive on it, yeah. head over to um, the ABZ Football Podcast, ABZ Podcast on Twitter, you'll find us there. Last episode, that's the one you want to go to. But Graham, I'm going to pass to you quickly on this one about your views on Stephen Glass, and I'll give you mine in a minute, Joe. It's been a bit of a mixed bag, to be perfectly honest. Um, when he came over, again, personally, it's difficult for him because, you know, surprise, surprise, our new manager comes from Atlanta. So straight away, <laughs> straight away, let, let's not get away from the fact that that, that makes it difficult yeah. for him because sure. people, regardless of what we were told and what we have been told, the assumption is that maybe it wasn't the extensive recruitment process that we were led to believe because it's difficult to accept that the best candidate that applied to be manager of Aberdeen was an untested manager from the club we have a relationship with. So as as a personal point of view, but I don't believe that is a unique view in terms of the Aberdeen support. So he kind of arrived against that backdrop and it's been quite difficult for him in in terms of he's, he's trying to implement admittedly a more exciting style of football. You know, if you're, if you're changing it up that, that's difficult. That takes time. Maybe the current players can do it. Maybe they can't. He's got to get his own guys in. So I, I think it's been quite difficult for him. I think he he is learning. Uh, it's just it's, it's quite difficult when you're learning on the job as a football manager when everyone is scrutinising everything you do. There's been, you know, we've had some really good results. We've had some poor results. We did reasonably well early on in the season in the European games and we were we were quite exciting to watch and he was quite exciting as a manager. A previous manager who'd done you know really quite a good job, had been there for a number of years, but he was quite, he was quite cautious and you generally knew what team you're going to get. You genuinely knew what substitutions he'd make. You usually knew when he would make them, where Stephen Glass was quite good at reacting, even at halftime, change the system, change a couple of players and it was working. And we were all thinking this is different, this is exciting. The league started 
kind of faltered a little bit. He seemed to then be adverse to making those changes. You know, we would play a game for 60, 70 minutes and it wasn't working. You're like, well, you were changing them two, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. What's Mm -hmm. happening now? So I think overall people are kind of on the fence. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of the table. We're in six out of 12. So we are mid table. We're out of one of our cup competitions, which is disappointing. Another one um, starts up in January. So overall, it's probably, I think we were saying in sort of school grading terms, it's about C at the moment. I do think there is a lot to like and it is something different. And I think what he's trying to do in terms of the way we play and the way we approach games has got the potential to be more exciting to watch. It's just the results haven't quite followed and it's really difficult. Everyone talks about a transition there's no defined outcome and an end date. So you can then evaluate it and say, great, he's done what he said he was going to do. The transition is to play a different style of football and be successful. But it's kind of an open-ended statement, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, totally. So I, I think overall, most people are probably on the fence. And there were, you know, sort of rumors around when were we October time, Gary, with a couple of really poor results and, kind of looked like he might not come back from it. But to be fair, it would appear that the players are absolutely on board with him because I've never seen any evidence you know, on the pitch and you don't hear stuff in the press about players not being happy with him, his coaching staff, the methods uh, or anything like that. And you'll know yourself, if players aren't happy, it doesn't take too long before all of a sudden there's a couple of bits and pieces in the press. So it does look like everyone's buying into what he's trying to achieve and really hope in the second half of the season he can really push on so that we we end the season with him in charge and that we're all thinking great ended the season on a high you know we're, we're looking forward to next season Stephen Glass was the right appointment and it's all starting to take shape yeah I mean I think just to echo some more of that Joe just for you I guess um, and I guess to put into context I guess for your listeners as well that um, there are two sides to this coin Stephen Glass has been well backed by our board in terms of the the funding he was given and the budget he's got available to him in in the summer when our summer transfer window was open. I think it's fair to say that our summer recruitment was not great um, on the whole. There was a few few signings that have worked out for us. Ramirez is a good example, mm-hmm. one that has worked out for us. Um, I think there are maybe some mitigating circumstances around that to an extent for Stephen Glass because we have, when Stephen Glass came in the door, we entirely ripped up the way that our football operation was being run. Um, so we now have a formal director of football in charge who Stephen Glass reports to. We now have a head of recruitment in place and people underneath him who report to the director of football we've excuse me gone down a much more continental europe right which is the setup in mls too yeah or atlanta yeah i was going to say it's a similar step to what you guys are using you know um now for whatever reason which i still find unfathomable and we decided that we would wait until pretty much the last couple of weeks of the summer transfer window to appoint our head of recruitment um, which means there was a number of players who came in. I, I would, I would, I would take the view that all of our summer recruitment took place without our head of recruitment being in place, which begs the question: who was making the decision to sign players, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, it's been clear already that a number of those players have not worked out for us. There've been loan players who've been sent back to their clubs six months mm. early. Mm. Jack Gurr is an example of someone that has not worked out for us. Um, Ramirez has. Um, other people have. The January transfer window is going to be a big one for us to try and right the wrongs of that recruitment window. 
Um, and I, another mitigating factor, and I don't know if Graham's going to agree with me, I'll wait and see if he nods his head or he doesn't with me on this one, is that the squad that Stephen Glass inherited when he came into the club was a mess. We had no first-team strikers contracted to the club beyond the summer that he came in. and We only had loan strikers in who were all going to depart to their parent clubs. We were overloaded with central midfielders ahoy our previous manager seemed to have a fixation for signing central midfielders um we had some aging wingers we had very little cover in the center of defense we only had probably one recognized center back on the books i would suggest a bunch of young players potentially coming through so the squad he came into was very unbalanced um i think that's a mitigating factor about the 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 six months we've had since the start of the season as well to an extent because you can't solve all those problems in one go Guys are under contract, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's been an interesting six months. Graham's right. Um, it's been up and down. The highs have been pretty high. Um, the lows have been tragic. We went like 10, 11 games, I think, without a win uh, between middle middle of August and middle of October. And at that point, the middle of October, um, again, if anyone wants to have a listen to it, episode 14, um, there was real doubt amongst the Aberdeen support about whether Stephen Glass would even get to this far, mm. if, if, if we're brutally yeah. honest about it. Turned it around. The defense has got a lot more solid in recent weeks. There's been less in-game uh, manipulation and tweaking of system and players, etc., from the manager. And whether you like that or you don't like it, I, I, it remains to be seen. He's definitely trying to change the way that we play football. It's one of these like Graham's Graham's fandom of Aberdeen started after Stephen Glass departed Aberdeen as a foot, as a player. Mm. Stephen Glass for me was one of my was one of my absolute favorite players for Aberdeen when hmm. he played for us. So I've I've probably got this like weird soft spot for him because I really mm-hmm. want him to succeed potentially because of that. Um, it's interesting what you said, Joe, about him being quite steely and stern. I never got the impression of Stephen Glass as a player that he would be like that. But I think we've seen that in in his media appearances, etc. He's got I think a bit more about him from that perspective than maybe people. Um, gave him credit for yeah i think the next six months this this january transfer window is big the next six months are going to be key i think to see where we go with this it's a bit of an experiment from our perspective graham is right he kind of started i guess with one foot you know back because so many people looked at the fact that he came from atlanta we'd had the john gallagher thing we'd you know um it seemed very convenient that the best guy for the job right happened to come from here probably probably was convenient to be perfectly honest <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um, um it's interesting you mentioned the 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 winless stretch because i mean that is it see it that was definitely something that plagued him when he took over on an interim basis here which was that you know i think is they maybe won his first two games or at least didn't lose them but then once the bad stretch started it was like the team never really got out of it i mean he took over around mid-season so um you know, he didn't have a, as long of a run, but uh, yeah, that that is interesting. It's it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I I I like him as a as an individual. I'm kind of hoping. So do I. So do I. Obviously, I hope it works out for us because if it works out. It means we're a successful club, and if it doesn't work out, it means we've not had a good season. Mm. Um, I think you know Graham's right. Transitions are a great buzzword that always gets used about this. Um, for me personally, I I started the season saying I'm going to write the whole season off. This is going to be a big a big shift for us this is kind of what we need to try and do to try and develop our football club going forward. I know that a lot of Aberdeen fans don't necessarily feel the same way about that. And that that's obviously everyone's entitled to their, to their opinion on that. I'm interested to see how the next six months go. 
um, if if there are signs that we've improved again in the next six months and that we're continuing to develop in the way that we hope we continue to develop and hopefully it can work out for us but I think C C minus is probably the the, the grade he'd be, he'd be getting right now. Yeah, and just hearing hearing what you guys have said, it sounds like these next six months, or if there's going to be six months, but these are going to be some a, a very important stretch for for him because if there is going to be that transition, it needs to happen. Seems like it needs to happen now. You know, th- this is the time. You, I think we need. To, I think all Aberdeen fans need to see evidence. Right, right, that it's improving. Right, to give him the benefit of the doubt to continue to keep going. Otherwise, it becomes very, very difficult for him because he's, he's got a lot of challenges against him already. Like I say, there's a lot of perception about the fact he's here because he's the chairman's friend and, and that type of stuff. And it's difficult to shake those perceptions. Yeah. And those perceptions aren't without, they're not without foundation, I would, I would argue, Graham. No, I think that that is fair. Everything in the relationship so far is a little convenient, you know, to, to use your wording, Joe. But from our point of view, it's a little bit convenient for one side. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, and that's kind of. I'll be honest. If it was a little bit convenient, but it felt like we were winning out of it, we wouldn't be sitting here saying, "Well, it's a real shame for you guys." Um, <laughs> you know, we'd be saying, "Well, that's all right. We loaned out that guy. He was rubbish for us, but he's your problem now." Type of thing. Right. So there is a bit of which side of the fence you sit on, and I do think it's really, it's really important. You know, longer term, if there is this relationship, really is going to bear fruit on both sides, and it is going to benefit both clubs. You really just want the sort of the first bit of it to work. So if Stephen Glass can really get us going in the second half of the season, and our recruitment starts to take shape, and maybe we do start to interact as clubs a little bit more, you know, whether that's just through marketing, fan engagement, or you know, some some player transfers, etc., loans, sending guys out for experience, that that would be really good because then if things maybe take a turn for the worse, everyone's like, well, okay. The worst signs it's working, we'll stick at this. So it's like any, I guess, like anything, if the first time you try it, it doesn't work, you've got to be really quite bold to say that the strategy is right and we're going again. It's easy to just say, oh, well, yeah, that was stupid. Let's do what we always do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's also got to be some onus on the, on the boards for both of these clubs to get together and talk through these issues. Like, you know, if they have this agreement between the clubs and it's not working out for one side or the other, they need to talk about that and make sure that it is or, or, or figure out where they can better, you know, reciprocate with each other to, to make sure that the agreement does work as it was intended to. I guess it's always going to be difficult for Aberdeen to do that at the moment because we're the ones that have at least taken two and a half million quid of, well, Arthur Black's money, I guess, initially. Um, so we're probably on a, a weaker footing from that perspective to begin with. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting how it develops. It's going to be interesting to see how... Um, how Stephen Glass gets on for the rest of the season. It'll be interesting to see how Ronnie Hernandez gets Yeah, on it will be. It will be. In Atlanta next season. Um, don't know, Joe, if you've got anything else you want to... No, no. Th- I mean, this was uh, this was good. And if you ever want to talk again, uh, I'm happy to, happy to come back on. But this was uh, a pleasure getting to talk to you guys. I haven't talked to any uh, Aberdeen fans yet. So um, this was a fun experience for me. Joe Patrick from Dirty South Soccer. It's been a pleasure to have you on. All the very best. We'll catch up with you later on, mate. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 28, where we'll review our Scottish Cup tie against Edinburgh City and our league fixture at St Mirren. We'll have our usual look at our loanees and loan watch. We'll see how the women's team got on in their league fixture against Hearts before we move to preview our league doubleheader against St Johnston and Dross County. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.